Hello to everyone who is about to hear our uh, quite long, probably, podcast. Um, this is our first time doing anything like this, so uh, let's just say this at the beginning in order to just be able to blame any any um, shortcoming on, on this factor. Um, so here is me, Kaveh Abbasian, and Salur Malayeri. And this is a podcast that we thought of doing after watching the BBC Four's documentary series, Art of Persia. I'm going to allow um, Salu first to introduce himself and in order to make sense of why the two of us really felt the need to make a kind of contribution um, and an, an input about this documentary series. Because the series is specifically about Iranian national identity or uh, quote-unquote Persian identity and let's say art of Persia throughout history. And this is particularly something that both me and Salur are interested in. Um, Salur Malayeri um, just finished his PhD at University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And I also finished my PhD last year at Roehampton University of London. And both our uh, PhDs are kind of related to the topic of this documentary. So it is three episode documentary series. Salur, first of all, hello, and um, do you want to explain a little bit about your PhD thesis in order to make a kind of the relevance of why we are doing this and why we felt the need to do this? Uh, well, uh, hello to you, Kavijan. Thank you so very much for actually organizing this uh, session. It is, I'm hoping, that going to be uh, useful for our audience Um and I'm hoping to to clarify a few points about these uh, documentary series in BBC Four called Arts of Persia. My name is, as you just said, Salur. I just finished my PhD in modern languages from the uh, University of St Andrews School of Modern Languages from uh, from the Department of Persian. I studied Persian literature and language in Tehran, Iran. Uh, both uh, my bachelor and, man and master degrees are in Persian literature and language. And then I moved to St. Andrews to continue my PhD, uh, to writing my thesis, uh, which was titled Ideology and Resistance in Persian Classical Poetry, uh, The Case of Nasser Khosrow, which is a which is one of the prominent uh, Persian poets of the early medieval uh, centuries. Uh, so through my thesis, I worked on the early Persian literature and uh, literary productions, um, specifically in the Khorasan reg region, the greater Khorasan region. And I studied the history of uh, early local um, Iranian governments in the Khorasan region and later uh, the Turkic uh, governments, uh, specifically the Ghaznavids and the early Saljurs, due to the case study that I uh, that I was working on. Overall, my approach is based on the critique of ideology, discourse analysis, uh, cultural materialism, and uh, approaches like this. So I'm mainly within this field. Okay, uh, thank you, Salur. And um, it is obvious that um, the, the topic of the, the, this documentary series is quite relevant to your area of study and, and to your generally to your research questions and research interests, especially if for anyone who has seen this documentary series, it is extremely important in terms of the, what they call in this documentary the 
preservation of the Persian language and Persian identity, especially after the Arab conquest and in the local governments in in what is in the land that is now called um, Iran. For for my own case, I um, I did a um, my PhD is also about it's quite related to Iranian national identity. It, it is about the construction, the modern construction of Iranian uh, national identity in the 20th, mostly in the 20th century, through the means of audiovisual media, and especially through the means of Islamic, the Islamic Republic's um, war propaganda documentaries, TV documentaries, and how TV, television series, and television documentaries about the war had an important role in the unification of the country around uh, the, the idea of the nation, and um, and uh, to to hegemonize certain ideology in Iran to create the nation and the sense of national identity around that. And I don't obviously mean that the whole idea of national identity comes from this one documentary series, but it is. Uh, I wanted to put an emphasis on the role of media and especially audiovisual media in the in the construction of national um, identities. And this is again, uh, so uh, in, in your case, when we talk about Persian language, in the case of my research, it is the idea um, identity and national identity comes into perspective, especially in relation to this documentary series, because one of the most important things that the documentary consistently um, focuses on is the idea of Persian and Iranian national identity, which I believe it conflates it uh, quite anachronistically and uh, inaccurately. Okay, so I understand you watched the series um, once, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, every week I... Um, um, uh, it was so interesting for me at the beginning, to be honest. Um, uh, I first heard about this TV series as an announcement in the Persian... in, in, in the BBC iPlayer, I suppose, or the BBC website. Uh, I just came across it on Facebook, and I got and I got so happy because uh, and I did a post on my Facebook, and it and it is still there. If you can see it before I start watching the series, and I welcome this, and I was looking forward to watching it. Uh, I mainly uh, pointed out on my post on Facebook that this is this can be a good sign because in Britain today. Uh, first of all, in BBC, rarely do we see that uh, documentaries about other nations, other civilizations, other other people, other countries, especially Asian and Middle Eastern countries. Uh, BBC is so famous for its very well-made uh, documentaries, historical documentaries. But these documentaries were mostly uh, about the history of Britain. And less about other people and other other people of dif from different regions around the world, and I thought today one of the reasons for the for these uh, for 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 let's say populism in in, in growing populism in British society can be this you know people are not so very knowledgeable about how other nations by nations i mean how other peoples different groups of peoples around the world uh, used to think used to pre uh, used to uh, write used to create uh, art and literature uh, so by opening the windows towards other people uh, you can actually uh, uh, come up with a more democratic more tolerant society 
Um, but yes, but I, as you just know, uh, when uh, when I when I start watching the episodes one by one uh, each week, um, I had a very very different feeling, much mm -hmm. much different from my early, earlier impressions. And we can start. All right. So about okay, that, okay. Yeah. We yeah, exactly. So we get to that, and I I can't wait really. Uh, for me too, exactly the same uh, kind of uh, reaction. Mm -hmm. I heard about the series, and I I thought that is great. Uh, let's watch some um, Iran on the on the BBC, especially for me that I haven't been back to Iran for um, twelve years. By the way, for anyone who's listening to this, both Salur and I are from Iran. Uh, so basically, that's another reason we are interested in these documentaries and we thought we should put something out uh, about it. And so, yeah, we were both quite happy about this. And um, uh, I, I was especially like, uh, I saw the trailer and the, and the image, the pictures, they look quite nice and colorful mm. and uh, crisp quality. And I was mm. like, oh, this is great that some uh, documentary crew had, uh, had the chance, had the opportunity to go to Iran and make a documentary series about this, this land that not everyone knows a lot about and definitely there aren't many high quality documentaries about this and as you said yes again BBC is quite known for its um, historical documentaries and I was I was waiting for something quite I mean I mean reasonably in in the, the scientific or culturally yes, relevant yes. in, in, a, and in as, this very classical sense actually I was looking yeah. forward to that and with a less biased less judgmental uh, but purely descriptive and in order to give knowledge uh, exactly. and data you, you know, and information. I, yes, but it was less you, that, you, I suppose. You, exactly. You don't expect to watch a masterpiece of cinematic art or anything or experimental. You just want to watch some good quality image and accurate information um and and Absolutely. generally i mean hopefully less ideologically biased um because i don't i don't really believe anything unbiased exists by the way and uh, i'm sure you know what i mean but yeah, uh, yeah just 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 a bit just, just a bit down less ideologically um biased, really. yes yeah um so, but in the end, what we watched was quite different from uh, what we were really expecting. But before getting to, into that, what, how did you feel about uh, the documentary as a, a documentary? You know, in terms of, did, did you enjoy watching it as a documentary? Did, did you think it, was, it had value in terms of documentary um, values, cinematic, whatever, filmic? Mm. Uh, well, to some extent, but not that much. I, I must confess that as a student in Persian literature and language, I, at some point, I was quite, you know, I, I got quite emotional by uh, seeing some some scenes from um, Ferdowsi's uh, uh, town and mausoleum, Ferdowsi's statue in Tus, in Mashhad, and uh, some um, beautiful scenes from Esfahan and my own uh, uh, hometown, Tehran. Um, you know, Iranian people chant, you know, uh, chanting poetry and uh, citing poetry to each other. Well, these these images were so, you know, uh, beautiful, you know, romantic pictures that, uh, uh, in the first instance, you might you might get so touched by them. Uh, and I must confess, uh, because my work as a as a 
critic, as an academic, is the critic of ideology. But as soon as you are exposed to such images, um, you suddenly find yourself in a very emotional, you know, realm, and you start showing some sort of sympathy. This is some sort of confess that the confession that I'm making now, interestingly enough. So, I had I had that experience a bit, sort of. Uh, I got too emotional, uh, but. Just after a few, you know, uh, after after maybe I just finished one episode, I just turn back and review what I just uh, saw, and I I began to think about the content of the episode, and I ended up with a different uh, 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 view and opinion about the episode. Uh, but in terms of you know artistic and and filmic you know values, you are more uh, qualified for that. But I personally myself, I have seen much better you know uh, uh, pictures and images from ancient sites of Iran uh, with with better chosen m- musical pieces um, accompanied with the pictures. Uh, but this one was let's say normal, somewhere in between. You know, uh, not very bad, not too good, but. Somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah. quite quite a generic BBC yeah. documentary, wasn't Absolutely. it? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, we added the, the drone shots that, that since the drone has become a possibility for documentary crews, everything is just full of drone shots, which really... <laughs> really yes, 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 yeah. I'm but, not a big fan of drone shots, but I mean, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, can, I just but add one, of, can I just add one point before moving to the next question? Because you ask about uh, watching this documentary, the experience of watching a documentary about a non-British, you know, uh, people in BBC 4. This itself contains some discursive and cultural codes that we that we should be aware of uh, I mean there are some uh, strategies working in these documentary in order to represent Iran or Persia and Iranians in in, in a very specific way to to give a, a specific image based on some codes that are working within this medium which is documentary on TV, and the context of it, which is uh, BBC4 inside the Britain, and it, it, it has it, uh, people inside the Britain are watching it, not Iranians or not other people around around the world. So uh, these these elements are important, and we should uh, be aware of those things. These are working in in, in this process of uh, representation and making this narrative of of Persians and Persian identity. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And so uh, let's crack on with the with the with the content of the documentary. So the the series is called Art of Persia. What do you what do you feel about the title? I mean, the first thing that I thought was like, where is the art in this? I mean, I saw a bunch of kings and sultans and uh, and 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 wars and whatever. But I mean, to to come from Iran, to come from that part of the world, and to to know the the wealth of uh, culture and art that could have been presented in this documentary, and then watching a documentary that is called Art of Persia, but then hearing and seeing a history that is just filled with kings and monarchs and sultans that are i mean we for a fact know that lots of them were quite brutal cruel bloodthirsty 
um, rulers and w many of whom are depicted in this series as this kind of like glorious great kings um, what do you think about the title at least of this series Art of Persia that's interesting I, I quite agree with you um, I myself was looking forward to watching some artistic materials because when you say art uh, today you mean like paintings sculptures I don't know if music images things as art we did see some 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 of these things but mainly you know um it was quite a few and uh, it was quite marginal in the whole series the whole series was dominated by this political narrative i shall say um which is the narrative of kings and dynasties. very specific narrative as well yeah very specific uh, and very specific loaded narrative. quite loaded yes. narrative yeah yeah the narrative of kings and dynasties and the rise and fall of of each king but when you say uh art art of persia you are focusing on artistic materials and artists uh, as a text as an object of study and you should uh base your historiography on those materials those artistic materials that is to say you should explain their aesthetic qualities how 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 very well made those you know objects are or how we can analyze or assess the the quality of those arts of, of these of those objects and materials and you can compare those objects perhaps with other people's you know um artistic productions I don't know, maybe from China, from India, from other Asian, you know, civilizations. So this is this is what I had in my in my mind at the beginning because it was art. So we are about to learn more about uh, material uh, artistic productions of ancient uh, uh, Persia, as they call it, <laughs> and we are we are going to discuss about that word anyway. Um, so th this is what I thought at the beginning, but it wasn't it wasn't that at all. It was a total confusion and and. Uh, uh, a little bit of that, a, li a little bit of this, but I can say it wasn't about art of Persia at all. It was about, it was about Persian identity in its most abstract and idealistic sense, and we we heard more about Shahnameh, the the Book of Kings, Ferdowsi's Book of Kings, rather than art of Persia, and uh, so. It was supposed to be about art, but it wasn't. So it was supposed to be about literary Persian literature a little bit, but of course it wasn't because the main point was how Persians uh, held their identity and their sense of you know proud you know, national as if such things. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a very essentialist approach towards identity, course, as if something course. existed in the past. Yes, and then anyway. Uh, so we, that's we, it. We that's that's that. that that's that's what I thought about this title, which I think doesn't correspond with the content at all exactly so right off the bat the the title itself is quite problematic because it's 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 called art of persia which i mean in the term persia is problematic first it's quite an in a way uh orientalist uh take uh, way of naming that part of the world and then art of persia which this series was not about art and it wasn't even about the people, it was about the kings. We didn't hear about the social movements. We didn't about hear about ordinary people. We heard only about sultans, kings, and dynasties, one after another. But funnily enough, some of them were just for no reason overlooked as well. So let's discuss then their narrative, or as you may want to call it, grand narrative, at the core of the argument of the series. 
So let's just, um, before starting to uh, take it in, taking it apart and uh, just uh, analyzing it or even criticizing it, let's just say what the series is trying to say and what are its key points. Um, so for example, Persian identity, Iranian identity, Arab in invasion, and then, and then preservation of the Persian identity and the way these, these points are working. So do you want to just uh, um, mention the few key points that, or the grand narrative of the series in, in your own opinion? The series begins, uh, well, there's this introduction part, which repeats in each uh, episode. And which starts with making, uh, which starts with a distinction between Persia and Iran. Uh, it seems that the uh, narrator try tries to uh, explain these two terms as it as they have been constructed in 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 the Western world. So uh, Western people re recognize this country today, Iran, with two names: Persia and Iran. Uh, so from early early twentieth century, uh, the Iranian government dictated to the other 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 gov uh, uh, governments of the world that you should from from it was during time of Reza Shah, the first Pahlavi king, uh, they uh, they decided to change the name from uh, from Persia to Iran. And they dictated that to other uh, leaders of the world that from now on. Yeah, but these are these are not mentioned in the documentary. Yeah, no, these, no, 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 not at all. You, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I was trying to, so, to so, give okay. a kind of perspective. Let's... But the point is that the point the point is that the documentary uh, represents Persia as it as it is in in the uh, in, in, as as it has been recognized in the popular culture of of the Western world, which is the land of uh, civilization, poetry, everything which is positive, you know. Uh, um beautiful uh poems and uh, uh glorious and legendary kings and uh, so this is persia and on the other hand we have iran which is uh, the modern times a country in a in a bad economic uh, uh, situation uh, struggling with with um serious issues political issues and having this uh, constant struggle with the west and uh, so Iran is the Islamic Republic of Iran, let's say, and the way it is represented in the in the Western media. And the documentary tries to uh, sort of revive the Persian Iran uh, and, you know, somehow disregard the Iran Iran that we know today uh, as a some sort of, you know, bringing uh, let's 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 make. British people in this context to remember actually uh, how was Iran, what what uh, and this Iran is supposed to be Persia and Persia was so great at, at, at once in the history, but unfortunately this is the exact kind of narrative that uh, uh, Persian uh, nationalists are are making it are uh, reproducing it in their works. Um, and the end of the day, I'm going to discuss that this is this remains within this Orientalist, you know, uh, view of of Westerners uh, towards Iran. We can stop uh, yeah. discussing about that and later on, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, the, one of the key points that you mentioned is the, the 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 kind of separation that it makes at the beginning about uh, Persia and Iran, and it then it, it creates a kind of romantic idea of Persia, and at the same time, kind of horrifying idea of Iran. Sometimes uh, 
brings horror music here and there in the series to help <laughs> it's this it's this kind of creating that yeah image yeah as well. we, yeah and, those, uh, those are very important uh, uh, examples that you are mentioning and and another yeah. thing which is so important in the narrative since you mentioned about the narrative structure of this TV mm-hmm. series is uh, uh, representing Iran as as a as something special we are mm-hmm. we, we are hearing the word special quite numerously yeah so basically and, uh, and, and, we we have an example or or a manifestation of Iranian Iranian exceptionalism that yeah. we we hear it a lot among in Iranian among Iranian nationalists Iranian state the Islamic Republic the the Pahlavi the the the, the monarchy before the revolution a kind of Iranian exceptionalism that there is something quite strange we are you know the the, the old old idea of we are Aryans we are we are much more clever than everyone else and everything and this series makes sure that it confirms all of those and adds a few on top of that as well. And it's, um, it, it, it brings this idea that th- there was this kind of ideal uh, pre-Islamic uh, Persia that after the Arab invasion, and it uses the words savage, barbarian, consistently throughout the series. And when it talks about Arabs, there is this horror music here and there. And then... The Arabs came and then they brought with them this kind of weird religion and and then but despite all of these the Persians uh, managed to survive and held on to their identity and held on to their culture and held on which is a kind of extremely weird 19th century orientalist approach towards the idea of um, national identity identity especially Persian which is exactly as you said what we are going to get to. So this is the narrative of the series. Persians are basically the core of Iranianness, and, uh, and they, they are special. They are, they are different from other they are, peoples of they are, the region. They are special. They are different from other people in the region. They 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 had an identity even in in pre-modern in uh, pre-Islamic times, mm. and and then this identity held on and survived. During even after the Arab invasion, even the Mongol the invasion, Mongo- Mongol yeah. invasion, and all of these these things, and then in the end, it also seems like it's kind of pre- wants to present the Islamic Republic as yes. another invasion that Iranians will eventually kind of manage yes, to. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's right. Because when it comes to the second Pahlavi, the Muhammad Reza Shah, the Shah of Iran, the f- the last king of uh, the last Shah of Iran, uh, it, you can sense. Uh, there is a, some sort of kind of um, sympathies going on and represented as a tragic thing. You know, uh, what a shame that Iranians lost a monarchy, and uh, uh, and it, it could have it, it could have been something else. You know, we could have had the Iranian monarchy still existing today, but because some mistakes that Shah did, and there are mostly moral mistakes because Shah was so arrogant or. Uh, too proud, proud, and he 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 didn't see, he didn't see it coming. He didn't see the revolution is coming. He he, it was about mismanagement, making wrong decisions, and that's why, uh, tragically, uh, the monarchy is gone now, and so we are dealing with a uh, with the Islamic state, and so yeah, exactly. Quite this is not right, of course. So sim- sim- simplified and simplistic way of um... absolutely, yeah way of looking at history and also as you know this is a trend in Iranian studies um, that it, we, we can trace this trend back to um, back to the 19th century as well 
a very simple question. So Art of Persia and this um, uh, series consistently talks about Persia, that the country of Persia, this Persia was this Persia was that, was what they call Persia ever called Persia? Well, not really, actually. Uh, well, we have the, 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 the word Iran. And so I Iran is a very old term. Iran and Iranians uh, from the ancient time, from the time of uh, Parthians and even before that, I suppose. Um, so uh, you, you, you are so knowledgeable about the term uh, Iran, Iranians, Arya and Aryans. You can you can talk about that if you like. But um, this term um, used to be uh, it used to be called for the land of Iran, which is a which is a vast area in the Iranian plateau uh, and uh, Iranian plateau. And it consists of of different tribes different nations with different with with different with different uh, religions and languages and so the, uh, we have this imperial state uh, Achaemenids and then later Parthians and then Sasanians um, they used to have this kind of idea of Shahanshah the king of kings which is the king uh, of the whole, uh, the uh, the whole area of this vast area that included uh, different groups of people from Arabs to Georgians to to um, Armenians, and then to the east you have Sogdians, Bactrians, and uh, exactly and, and Persians as well, and Persians as Persians, well, which was at the center Persians of in this. in the middle of that as yeah. well, definitely. But th this this land, this territory, this empire was never called Persia. Iranians used to call themselves Iran and Iranians, but the the Western people used to call Iran as Persia, and this dates back to the ancient Greeks. Greeks used to call uh, the Iranian lands Persia because they were dealing with the with the Iranian Empire, which was Achaemenids at that at that, at that period of time, Achaemenishian, and the Achaemenids were uh, Persians. They were coming from the Persian background as a as a tribe, so that's why uh, gradually uh, they called Iran Persia, uh, which is because the 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 empire, the, the 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 Persian king was Persian. But the whole idea of a country or a nation or a nation state is very modern in Iran. Yes, and, that's and right. So much so that Reza Shah in the early twentieth century. When he officially called the country Iran, he had, he had to write to all of these foreign embassies and ask them to uh, stop, start calling us Iran and stop calling us Persia mm -hmm. from now on. Yeah. And uh, and obviously before that, it wasn't even called Iran. It was the Qajar dynasty. It was the Mamalik Mahrusi Iran, that the the territory of Iran, which was the territory that the Qajars were controlling and and they were yeah, ruling. Yeah. The territories, but, but, rather, we are more yeah. than one territory, so we have territories. Uh, of Mamalik, Iran. exactly. Yes, so yeah. territories with different, and, with different, uh, and each so territory has its own governor, and these governors yeah. were connected to the to the king of the whole empire. Another thing that is quite problematic in this series is that the conflation of the two terms, Persians and Iranians. There is not a real distinction 
from the, apart from the beginning when there is that uh, introduction as you mentioned correctly that all right there's this in the western imagination this is persia and this is iran let's let's uh, let's kind of get into this but but from them point onwards inside the series consistently the term persian is used instead of iranians or iranians is used instead of persians i mean let's let's make this quite clear that Iran, today's Iran, consists of so many different ethnicities and yes. um, uh, and and languages. I mean, some of these ethnicities even call themselves nation. You know, if 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 you're going on calling yourself nations, we are going to call call ourselves nations as well. Ethnicities, languages, and cultures. I mean, let, let, Persians, in fact, is uh, about fifty percent of the population of Iran speaks Persian as their mother tongue. The other 50% speaks Persian because they learned it through other means such as the education system, radio, television, the, the publications, or a, any other means. So there are Azeris, there are Kurdish, there are um, Gilakis, there are Mazandaranis, there are Arabs, there are Assyrians, there are Armenians, there are Georgians, there are so many other different kinds of people and languages that are spoken in Iran that this series seems to be completely overlooking and consistently calling all of Iran as Persians. That's right, that's right. But uh, there comes one point. I think uh, in, in the Western world, when they used to call Iran as Persia, I think they somehow recognized this, you know, multiplicity of ethnicity and language and nations in, within this land. But this is not something we, which we see in, in the series, in this TV series. That's the point. It seems that uh, Iran was equal to Persia. And some some scholars are discussing that Reza Shah was wrong to change the name of the country because uh Persia, the word Persia has a long history in Western literature and it used to explain Iran as a whole country with all its, you know, differences and uh, and bits and parts. So uh, whereas changing it to Iran, the Western people uh, got confused. They didn't know about this word. They didn't know about the history of this word. And they somehow... But should you care about who, what, the, the, what the Western world thinks of the name of your country? Or should you name the country after a cultural uh, lineage? And, do, do, and how about the Eastern people? I mean, like, I don't know, Chinese, Indians. Did they care? I mean, why should we see ourselves in That's from right. the eye yes. of the Westerners. That's right. And those um, scholars so that I, I mentioned are, are discussing this had some nationalist tendencies, of course. Uh, you can't, you can't yeah, and, ignore but, that. Yeah. But that, exactly. And that is a quite a common trend in Iranian uh, kind of Aryan nationalism, which cons constantly sees itself from the eyes of the eyes Westerners. of the I mean, other. That's right. That's right. But my point was this. Uh, we are not sure whether the word Persians from the Western eyes used to used to uh, uh, signify the Persians from Persian background only. This is the whole uh, point that I was trying to make. Of course, I just did, did say that. This is not the thing that is happening with this TV series because Persian in this TV series are a specific group of people with one language, with one single identity, uh, with one single religion. Before Islam, they were all Zoroastrians, <laughs> and after after the Arab invasion, they become all Muslims. So, um, so that's that's the that's the point. Yeah, which exactly. is not true, of course. Um, 
Yeah. So in terms of the, the in terms of the narrative of this series, as you put it, all of Iran is Persian. They speak one mm. language and yes, they have one right. religion, which is a very strange way of introducing a, a very large part of uh, the world, which is I mean today's Iran and and the rest of it that in, in the maps that's shown around. In this documentary series, a very extremely large part of Central Asia to or all the way to uh, Arabia. So as uh, we were saying, the series presents a kind of essentialist primordial picture of the Persians, or as it conflates it constantly, Iranians. It claims that despite the Arab invasion, and, and it is the fact despite is very important, they managed to preserve their cultural and uh, national identity. And the, the words preserve and survival are repeatedly used as if there was something qu quite solid. And uh, I mean, it, it accepts no fluidity in the culture and language or anything. There is some, there was some solid entity, which was Iranian national identity, or as it's conflates, Persian national identity. And then the Arabs invade, and then they just, they, you know, these Iranians just hold on to it somehow. And, and then despite the Arab invasion, this identity is preserved. How, um, how, how historical and scientific is such way of presenting culture throughout history, throughout 2000 years? How is it, how scientific is it to present a language like that uh, throughout millennia and centuries, throughout dynasties like that, as if it was something solid, essential, and then some outside force came, attacked it, and what we kept it, we held it. What do you well, think well, about that? Mm, well, first of all, this uh, TV series is a representation, is a representation, is a discursive representation through the m medium of TV, and we discussed about the context of that before. So every representation is relying on a discourse. And each discourse is a fixation of specific values and ideas and meanings structured within one, you know, within a, within a one specific realm. So it is a closure of meaning within one specific discursive area. And this TV series is relying on, I can say, nationalist identity oriented discourse, which is a kind of orientalist approach at the end, uh, but I can say it's a bit different from the classic Orientalism of 19th and cent 19th century. I believe there are two major trends working in making this TV series from the, from the discourse analysis point of view. One is the Western Orientalism, the way that Western people used to see the Oriental world which is the land of mysteries and uh, abnormal things, uh, uh, glorious, excessive, you know, things. And uh, the world that we should learn about it as an object of science. Uh, the other trend is, I, they, I should rather call it the reverse Orientalism, or the kind of Orientalism which is reproduced by the Iranian scholars themselves inside Iran even, with Iranian heritage, with Iranian background. And this is, this is a kind of some sort of nativist, you know, a way of historiography, which is based on the distinction between self and the other. And you define the self 
based on this antagonistic relationship that you have between you as the Eastern and the other as the Western. And you are using mainly history and the history of art, history of literature and uh, uh, history of philosophy and theology to to uh, somehow uh, establish this this narrative, this nativist narrative uh, based on a pure identity, based on a pure nativist native identity, which is quite different and special. So this is quite a, uh, this is a construction. This is a discursive construction, the construction of a pure specific identity in order to define the self, so to uh, defend yourself from this invasion of the Western uh, uh, discourse, the, the Western imperialist, you know, uh, uh, presence in the history. You want to defend yourself, and then you start to construct an identity uh, relying on, on on the history or using history as a as a as a material to 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 shape this identity so this is actually what we see in this in this tv series it is so uh, strange because the... my question okay, maybe sorry sorry to interrupt you you might be able to to answer me but i'm so surprised to see that this line of you know reverse orientalism this nativism are being shown in a TV channel outside of Iran, in a in 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 the UK, in BBC Four, so there is no sign of the contemporary critical way of analysis that we are that me and you have been doing in our university. I mean, in the university, in the Western world, we learn about critical theory, about deconstructing the grand narratives, about how to address and identify the subalterns, the marginalized the groups. Decolonization, de 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 everything. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, well, if you go to SOAS, the most of the uh, uh, courses and syllabus are based on decolonizing the image that the Western people have. But there's no sign of this in this TV series. And this is absolutely... enough that they have academics from that SOAS and from everywhere, from Edinburgh University from from St Andrews University, but yet I mean these academics are used as kind of spice on top of the, the narrative that they already have, and which is quite interesting to see in 2020 the 19th century Orientalist narratives being presented as factual, accurate documentary filmmaking. So you 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 rightly mentioned um, Orientalist literature. You, uh, I remember you mentioned in your um, in your research, and I know that in your research you have worked on nineteenth-century Iranian thinkers. Um, who who did you work on in the nineteenth-century? Um, Zadeh and Malcolm okay, Khan. Okay, so exactly. Yeah, they are, they are pioneers of 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 giving up, giving these you know ident exactly. nationalistic identity oriented exactly. and narrative I, and I have of Iranian a... history. Yeah. And a lot of it worked through because they were quite, um, they could read Western languages. They could read English, French, whatever they could. And and because of that, they could translate not only the text, the actual text, but they could also translate into Persian the ideas of uh, nation, or milat, or or country, or national that's identity. Right. Yeah, that's and right. Also, uh, yeah, they were so also, influenced by the French Enlightenment uh, uh, literature. Specifically, for for instance, Ahun Zadeh, he he, he 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 was quite knowledgeable about the main books of uh, French Enlightenment, 
and he, he read Montesquieu, for instance, and we know that Montesquieu is one of the key figures of classical Orientalism in the West, and how Montesquieu uh, defined the Oriental, the Oriental despot, the Oriental despot king, and a, a proto-nationalist intellectual like Ahunzadeh use Montesquieu's idea of the oriental despot king in order to criticize the Gajar kings and, you know, make this radical, you know, discourse against the, against the, against the establishment. So this is interesting. This nativism that I just speak about, it has roots on, you know, Western history and those orientalists who came to Iran and they brought with themselves this orientalist narrative. Exactly. So, um, so another thing that is very important in 19th century construction of the idea of Iran is the discovery of the language family of the Indo-European language family and the construction of the idea of the Aryan race, which eventually we know what happened to it in the 20th century. But this idea of Aryan race, because Persian is an Indo-European language, it created the idea and, and the whole construction of the idea of Iran and Iranians in from the Western point of view, and then translated into Persian by these Iranian 19th century intelligentsia. So they suddenly became aware that they are in fact brothers with their European Aryan brothers and they are from the same family and, and they should be like them. And why they are not like that is because of the Arab invasion and it's because of Islam and it's because of all these um, centuries of Arab domination. And now what we should do, we should preserve, we should revive our own essential original Iranian identity pre-islamic identity I have absolutely here that is why before you before you uh, go on with your code just to to complete your point that is why we do not see any sign of anti-arab sentiment or discourse in the whole persian literature during the medieval period till the uh from the uh, medieval centuries to the early modern century we do not see any anti-Arab, you know, statement. It, that is very interesting. Uh, you, you, you even can't see the name of Kurosh or Darius the Great even, you know. So many myths in this narrative, which are uh, Arabs, or the, the major signs in this narrative are Arabs and then uh, Asian kings like uh, uh, Kurosh or Cyrus the Great, Darius the Great. Um, these names... They are they, they they came to the uh, the cultural sphere from the uh, middle of the 19th century when exactly the, because yeah. I mean Iranians weren't even aware of this this uh, past no, dynasties yeah, absolutely. These, these were 19th century discoveries Western discoveries which were then introduced to Iran and then these uh, Iranian intelligentsia used these in order to create and construct the idea of Iran and Iranian national identity and Iranian nationalism. While in this series, it is presented as if Cyrus the Great um, or whatever Darius and the rest of them established the Persian and national identity and it consistently continued uh, forever uh, after this, this kind of identity, kind of flawless and without any stop this identity 
um, continue. Um, so I have a, a now uh, you mentioned Ahunzade, uh, which is very very important figure in 19th century construction of the idea of Iran and the beginning of Iranian nationalism. Nationalism, and we mentioned a few key points that are in this documentary series about the Arab conquest, Arab invasion, and how Iranians were um, uh, were subjugated and how they should go back to their original civilization, and and how this is influenced by the 19th century Orientalist uh, ideas that created Iranian nationalism. Here's a quote I have of Mirza Fatali Akhunzadeh, who lived between 1812 to 1878. He says, What a shame for you, Iran. Where is your grandeur? Where is that power, that prosperity your people ignorant and innocent of civilization, deprived of prosperity and freedom, and your king is a despot. It's funny that you mentioned the, the, his idea yeah. of despot as well. Yeah. I'm sure you know others such as Mirza Khan Kermani, who is also quite an important figure in this period, who is also extremely anti-Arab and anti-Islam. And there, there are many, as you know, I mean, when we come to 20th century, they're, they're multiplied, these kinds of intellectuals who translate and who, who craft the idea of Iran and Iranian uh, nationalism. Yeah, and, and the one, one answer to this is that, as I just mentioned, in line with our discussion about Orientalism and reverse Orientalism, the reason behind this construction of uh, pure identity by, you know, uh, referring to a grand ancient history is to cover some deficiencies that you have experienced within uh, this um, uh, process of modernization. This huge gap that you are observing between yourself and the West during the 19th century, uh, you, you found yourself lost. You, 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 you are missing something in terms of technology, in terms of science, uh, the new rhetoric, the, the new philosophical rhetoric, the new literary rhetoric, the change in the social and political structure uh, in, the, in, the, in the West, and you can't uh, cope with this, you can't recognize it, you, and you are missing something. Uh, and uh, the experience of this, you know, failure, for instance, in Iran, we have these Russo-Persian wars, which had a huge impact on this sense of uh, failure. Uh, that suddenly you found yourself technologically way behind the Western world. Also uh, becoming aware of the West. That yes. Is, uh, uh, yeah. And then you, you start to reading some new uh, literature from coming from the West, the Enlightenment mm -hmm. literature mostly. Uh, yeah, they had two, two, two wars with Britain and one uh, war with the Russians in the early, 20th, uh, early 19th century were extremely influential in the construction of the, of the idea of us and the West for so Iranians. Because uh, prior yeah, to and, that... They... Yeah, from there, from there, there is this desire of returning to these, you know, as you just say, primordial, you know, glory where things were quite uh, perfect and ideal. And uh, so this is, I think, uh, we must we must uh, say about the reason behind this uh, identity-based rhetoric, uh, which is 
which is which which is trying to fill these gaps uh, as a result of this failure of observing the West and then recognizing your own deficiencies. Yeah. So, um, following on the same note uh, about Orientalism, it I I found it quite interesting. I mean, the choice of interviewees, and all of them are academic, by the way, academics from all of these uh, major universities in the UK, and some of whom I know I I knew before the uh, before the docu- before watching this documentary. And some others I didn't know, and I went on and Googled them, and I know a little bit about them now. It is interesting to see the difference between interviews with Iranian heritage and and other interviews. Um, I mean, so the interviews with Iranian heritage, I'm not sure if I'm correct, but I, uh, the Professor Ali Ansari, um, Dr. Vesta Sarkhosh Curtis, and uh, Nargis Farzad from SOAS. And and the other the other two professor uh, Lloyd Lulin Jones and I'm not sure if I uh, pr- pronounce that correctly and, and pr- professor Robert Hillenbrand from uh, University of Edinburgh the others uh, professor uh, Jones from Cardiff University I was quite really I found it funny the difference between these two um, categories of interviewees the the ones with Iranian heritage. Were quite. I mean, I found what they were saying quite reasonable. I mean, acad- academically um, just. The ones who came from the Western background, the the, the British, I found their rhetoric, their uh, line of argument, exactly in line with what we were just criticizing: the 19th century Orientalist uh, idea of Iran and Iranian national identity. Yes. Uh, also, we have another wave of Orientalism, let's say, which which started during 60s, uh, that uh, the new generation in, 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 the, in the North America, in, in the UK, in, in, in Western Europe, they somehow realize the East as the land of spirituality, uh, peace, peace, uh, um, spiritual peace, and uh, uh, the, the hippie movement, for instance, you know, it's, it's somehow based uh, is based on that kind of Orientalism during the sixties and seventies. So the Western world is the world of uh, um, falling into it's a decad- it's a moral decadence, it's a nihilistic world, and these people suddenly discover India. Iran, you know, and, uh, you know, Islamic mysticism, in, in, in Indian mysticism, and uh, Sufism, uh, these things become suddenly quite, you know, uh, positive and glorious and pure, uh, and, and, and a way out for Western people, they can, by, by referring to this Eastern mysticism and Sufism, they can learn more about, I don't know, humanity and, and uh, the purity of soul and the these things maybe somehow we can trace this thing that you mentioned to this line of orientalism that's why we are so um, <laughs> surprised to see that british scholars sound more nationalistic uh, than than iranian scholars uh, let's say i'm coming from university of st andrews and most of these scholars for instance professor hillenbrand and professor ali and sorry i i attended their lectures both of them are quite they are giants of let's say i'm, I'm honest they are giants of iranian studies you know discipline today and quite, I, I really in their lectures i was in their classes and in the lectures they didn't sound quite you know 
you know such you know nationalistic and and uh, and you know showing such emotions about the persian identity really not is other way it was other way around it was quite investigative their courses were quite investigative and uh, argumentative and it was quite instructive I'm, for me i'm sure but I'm that's, sure that's very I, interesting I, I, how things are represented yeah. in media yeah yeah i'm sure and i'm 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 also sure the interviews i mean we've been there ourselves the interviews probably took hours but then in the end, only a few bits yeah. uh, were yes. chosen. Like it That's took right. one second in total. That's Every right. interview in total probably got one minute out of the whole uh, three uh, series. But these are used quite uh, ideologically uh, in a very specific way. For example, I, Professor Jones has this quote I have down um, in, I think it's in episode two, uh, which goes like, the Arabs became Persianized by the much stronger culture of the Persian. I mean, if it was stronger, why did they all become Persian, uh, become Muslim then? And and it's also a very weird way of speaking about cultures, the two neighboring cultures as stronger and weaker. Or, for example, the kind of romanticization of Zoroastrianism, as, as you mentioned as well, that it is the great forgotten world faith. It's, uh, and it's such a shame, to, again, Professor Jones, it is a great shame that Zoroastrian is forgotten because it has embedded in it very basic principles of good thoughts, good words, and good deeds, and uh, which it completely forgets about the very dark aspects of the Zoroastrian religion as well. Like any other religion, okay, uh, uh, it has a nice-looking yeah. veneer. Zoroastrianism as an has... estate religion, as an orthodoxy, yes. Exactly, which became the state religion of the Sasanian Empire, and, uh, I mean, it, it resulted in bloodshed. I mean, especially yeah. the the um, the followers of Mani and Mazdaq, who were... Uh, Manichians and Mazdaqites. These are interesting yeah, incidents, and... which, you know, because this, this uh, TV series is based on this grand narrative, as you just mentioned, and I, and I already mentioned it is relying on a specific discourse. So each discourse is based on the it works through the process of selection and exclusion. So you have to somehow keep up with that narrative. You have to somehow keep up with the idea of pure Iranian identity with one uh, totalized form of identity with one uh, line of history and with one religion and with one language you have to somehow keep up with that so in order to do that you have to struggle with this process of exclusion for instance heterodox religious movements during ancient you know uh, time in in iran for instance, as you just mentioned, the the the, the, the Manichaeans and Mazdakites, for instance, we have numerous religious, you know, movements uh, during the early cent Islamic centuries, especially in the northern part of Iran. Uh, we have different interpretations. Oh, by the of way, Islam. which is where I come from. Yeah, of of course, of course. <laughs> A wonderful history with regards to religious movements and uh, and and social rebels. Uh, by the, by uh, by the way, just just to mention this short. You do not see any trace of people. You know, there is no sign of mm -hmm. people no. because no. there is because there is this pro process of exclusion. Then there is no sign of of social movements of uh, how social contributions to this if there is an identity where is the people uh, where are the, the cultural productions what sort of you know backgrounds uh, the, 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 these these 
this identity have? Or uh, the, the point is that we are dealing with only one identity. That's the main problem. But anyway, we have um, minorities, we have um, anti-Orthodox religious movements, both before and after Islam, Islamic period. We have Ismailis, which is the early Shi'i radical movement, which have a, they have very interesting theological, you know, literature with regards to this idea of interpreting the apparent meaning of the holy texts and challenging the conventional understanding of the religious, uh, of, of, of religion. Uh, so every, the whole thing was quite complicated, multi-layered and, and colorful. Let's say, and uh, for instance, the rule, the rule of Turks in 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 the Greater Khorasan, they were dealing with these with these numerous, you know, uh, anti-orthodox and social movements constantly. The the Baghdad Caliphate, the Islamic Center in Baghdad, they were dealing with the problem of political unity and political, uh, you know, representation. Uh, they were facing with the threats from the Buyids uh, in the in, from the central part of Iran, and they were they were facing with the rebels from the eastern part of Iran. So, uh, the the political establishment, whether it was the Abbasids, whether it was the Ghaznavids, whether it was the Saljuks, all the time they were struggling. They were struggling because the whole thing was quite complicated. Different groups of people from different cultural background producing different lines of, you know, uh, uh, culture and philosophy. We have we have translation from Greek philosophy. We have this translation move. So new cultural elements were coming from India. New cultural elements were coming from the Greek there is this identity before history. It is a meta-historical entity in this narrative, in this BBC4 TV series. Persian identity is standing beyond the history. It's, it reminds I mean, me of kind I of... I can't even yeah. imagine. I mean, do you, do they make uh, such documentaries about like English identity and British no identity? As no if way. kind of prehistoric thing, primordial identity that was preserved despite the, the Roman invasion. I don't know, the Norman invasion. No, I mean, as far as I know, the, the narrative on BBC about these things is that, oh, Romans came and added something. Normans came and added something. Vikings Absolutely. came and added something. There is at least there is no glorification, but it is somehow irre irrelevant to our topic. But l let me just say that even in uh, the, the, even in BBC documentaries, which 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 are about the British history, unfortunately, we see less of the history of Welsh, the history of Scotland, the history of Ireland. Oh yeah, and exactly. their contribution. I, I don't want to be yeah. non-critical. Yeah. Of, yeah, course, yeah. of course, yeah, Just to remind you that criticized. somehow there yeah. is there is this background within BBC itself. Yeah. You know, although the topic yeah. is the history of Britain, for instance, as long as as far as I know. I, I've seen two major productions of BBC about uh, the, the, Brit the British history. One is produced by Simon Sharma, which I like him so very much. And the other one, which I also did like so very much, was done by, by Andrew Marr. They both are very, uh, very good. You can learn so many things from both of them. But you can't see any signs of the contribution of the Welsh people, of the Irish people, and the Scottish people to the to, mm. to the to the British culture right. and history. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. So apart from the, I mean, let's, let's leave the the grand narrative of the series aside. 
I mean, of course, we can't leave it completely aside because I, I'm sh pretty sure in a second we'll get back to it. But the series is riddled, and I mean riddled, with incorrect information. For, for example, to say in episode one that Nowruz is the unique Persian New Year, just Google it and find out how many other people uh, celebrate Nowruz. And it's a very strange thing to say. I mean, the Kurds celebrate Nowruz from Central Asia all the way to Turkey, and they celebrate Nowruz. And uh, so many different uh, ethnicities, languages, cultures celebrate Nowruz. Okay, maybe not all of them do the, the Nowruz uh, throw, the Nowruz table, half seen, half chin, whatever you want to call it. But Nowruz, the new year, is celebrated in across the Western Asia, from Central Asia to uh, to the Middle East. And this is simply wrong to say Nowruz is the unique, for example, Persian New Year. Or, or for example, in order to give this romantic idea of ancient Iran, ancient Persia, to say again in episode one, and I'm quoting, it's a glimpse into ancient Persia where women were worshipped. In order to, I mean, make, I mean, I, we know that it was of an extremely patriarchal society to say that in ancient Persia, women were worshipped. And it is mentioning it specifically in relation to the goddess Anahita. But to say women were worshipped to give this romantic pre-Islamic idea of Iran, which, and then again, Islam came and look at the women now in Iran, is quite, again, uh, and it's, and it, it's yeah, and, and it's not particular to Iran, I suppose. Uh, we, we have to, we, we, we must refer to other studies from, from, uh, from scholars, but definitely worshipping women is not particular to Iranians. It is a, it is a different theological system before the patriarchy which uh, which was not uh, limited to Iranians at all but let me just add this uh, by asking why why we are seeing these sort of statements under the under the words uh, and phrases such as Iranians or the Iran or that Iranian king was the first ever who did that. Ah, I was the going first, to get into that as the, well. The first yeah. one who did that. Iranians were the people who did this as the first people who this this narrative also uh, is a is a is a well known feature of these yeah, again, in or, Orientalist one, discourse. Yeah. It says that Darius the Great did the first ever coinage. I'm pretty sure he was not the first king who did coinage. The Lydians did the first coinage well before him. Suppose it's right. Darius uh, somehow, or his court, they they um, somehow established this monetary system, which if uh, which was the main contribution yeah, of the Darius exactly. court. That's that's a different that, thing to that's, say. That's a different to say, thing to say. Yeah. Yes. So you know, uh, categorizing different coins based on their quality so you have uh, gold coins you have silver coins and each of them have, have have different values so this monetary system started with the Achaemenid empire in a way by far we can say that but but the the the, 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 the answer is not this i mean the question is not the question is why it is so important for us to 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 emphasize on this first ever phrase I exactly that's like, the iranian exceptionalism yeah, again that exactly we, we have to keep getting back to this is the the narrative of the series and again i mean this is quite um out of the uh, the narrative of our argument but also another thing it says it claims in the series that and i'm quoting here in iran omar khayyam is best known as a mathematician and an astronomer 
but in the West he is best known as a poet. I'm pretty sure we grew up learning about Khayyam's Rubaiyat and his poetry. I mean, and I, I always thought as a kid that, okay, Khayyam is a poet. And I remember for a fact that once I was little and uh, one of my dad's friends told me that, did you know that in the West they think yeah, they, they know Khayyam for his uh, working mathematician and astronomy? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, really? And then, and then I learned that Khayyam was a mathematician <laughs> it was and other astronomer. Way around. And yeah. It was completely the other way around. It's all the way around, um, yeah. But the point is that, that in the modern era, you know, I mean, it is true that um, the, 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 the English translation of Khayyam did a huge work on presenting Khayyam as a poet rather than as exactly, a especially in, in Britain, he's, yeah. he's quite famous. Yeah. And there's and, a society and, and, for yes, Khayyam here I in can London. Say, yeah, I can say this picture, Khayyam as a, as a poet, came back to Iran from, from the West from the Europe, you know, in, in the in the early 20th century. That's why uh, this sentence that you mentioned does not make sense for us at all, because as as, as long as I remember in our schools in, in Tehran, Khayyam was, first of all, a very important Persian poet, as well as being an astronomer and mathematician. Um, uh, yes, this is the, the book. Yeah, exactly. And I remember in the book there was the, that, that, that famous poem, uh, if I'm correct. Uh, that famous uh, Khayyam poem, it was even in our school books. I mean, as children, we knew Khayyam was a poet. Yeah. Do your Googling, BBC. Okay. Um, another thing about, I mean, this is not necessarily wrong information this is inaccurate in and i believe ideologically decided inaccuracy in episode three there is a confused map i mean it is quite an ahistorical map presented where when it's talking about the invasion the mongol invasion and there's a large map with the whole swathe of land in the west asia and it's called and persia is written across it from west to east but in reality, we know that when the Mongols came to Iran, th that map, that border, that ter territorial entity didn't exist as yeah, it, yeah, uh, is. yeah, 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 the was, same as it was after the invasion of Arabs, you know, exactly. when, when it was patches of yeah, different exactly. borders, different yeah. dynasties here and there. The, the unique entity of what it's called Persian consistently shows maps, unified map of Persia didn't exist. There were different dynasties here and there. And especially when Mongols came, the Khwarazmis were there, who were ruling over Central Asia and Eastern and Northeast of uh, the present Iran. And then the Mongols came again. The Mongols are presented as savage barbarians yeah, who come yeah. and pillage and destroy. And it's not it's it's not talked about the fact that the, the Khwarazmi Sultan massacred the Mongol diplomats and the Mongol merchants. Absolutely. And as a result of that, that, that was the beginning of the war. It, it doesn't, it, again, the Iranians yeah, and the uh, Persians Yeah, are... in the TV series, we, we see as if the Mongols were quite brutal by nature. And suddenly they started to invade Iran. Why? Why did that happen? Are, are they, were they crazy? Something must have happened before that. There was, there was a background, there was an introduction to that. Although they were so brutal, they were so brutal. But there was a mistake. There was a mistake from Khwarazm Shah as well, and, and um, that was that was an interesting point you just mentioned. But let me just say one thing. Uh, I just want to somehow balance our argument uh, by asking this: So why this road to stop constructing this identity-based narrative is so somehow easy for Iranian studies scholars? 
uh, there are some things in the in the in, in the in the Iranian history that somehow allows these people to to form this sort of narrative. Um, but in my view, you can say that there was this overarching, you know, uh, idea of um, let's say yes, let's say Persian Empire. Okay, but this was mainly due to. Uh, the imperial policies of these grand empires mainly started with Sasanians. So the Sasanians, from some point onwards, they started to homogenize their their rule over this vast, you know, area of Iranian lands, uh, specifically by re- relying on the element of religion, and with the help of the Zoroastrian priests. This process of homogenization uh, and um, the, the the influence of the Persian Middle Persian language suddenly started to grow, and when the Arab came, suddenly we have these these huge uh, somehow gap with the fall of this centralized empire based on an specific. A re- uh, state religion, which was Zoroastrianism, and this um, uh, uh, and, and, the, and the central language, which was the Middle Persian language, when when this is gone, all different local governments. I mean, even the uh, the, the 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 caliphs from Bani Umayyads to Abbasid caliphs, there is this memory of this glorious centralized empire of of Sasanians which were so well connected very very well uh, organized with a very well designed administrative you know uh, 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 apparatuses within the empire where so th- this was some sort of uh, uh, historical unconsciousness you can call it behind the mind of people from different, you know, dynasties, uh, because we see this constant, you know, reference to uh, Iranian kings, to the glorious Iranian kings, from deep, from all sorts of emirs and sultans and kings from all over Iran. <laughs> this is interesting. For instance, the Samanians, one of the major local governments after uh, during the Islamic period, they are referring themselves to the Iranian kings. The Ghaznavids, which are Turks by their origin, nevertheless, they they have this made up, you know, family background that, yes, we have our ancestors in the courts of, you know, Sasanians. And uh, <laughs> so it's interesting. So one might ask, if you are against such Persian identity, why do we have this? Why there are so many Amirs and Sultans from different backgrounds trying to relate themselves to this glorious uh, 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 past of Iranian history? On the other hand, we have we have some uh, we have an important literary movement starting in Khorasan, uh, um, and we have this revival Persian revival they call it. We have some specific poem uh, poems. Namely, Ferdowsi and Rudaki, even Nasr Khosrow, uh, these major literary figures of Khorasan. Anyway, they are they are, they are specifically using uh, Persian as the language of literary creativity, of cultural production, of writing theological and religious books and pamphlets, 
and uh, they are specifically addressing to the uh, pre-Islamic, you know, Iran uh, history of Iran in their works. So again, one might ask, we have this in the Iranian history. So why are you rejecting this idea of uh, an, 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 a major, you know, Persian identity? Uh, another another thing might be some movements in Iran, for instance, Shu'ubiyeh movement, which was based on the resentment of Arab super um, uh, Arab somehow uh, rule over non-Arab, you know, uh, people, and so this is another important, you know, uh, subject um, that must be addressed somehow. This this movement called Shu'ubiyeh. They were relying on their glorious, you know, uh, Persian background, and they they criticized the racial policies of the of the caliphate, and they somehow uh, uh, formed this narrative that we can be Muslims, but we can't be subjugated by the Arabs. So this line of discourse were there somehow in the early uh, centuries of Iranian history. Uh, I would like to hear your your opinions about this. Um, yeah, definitely. That uh, line of argument sh should be presented as well. Especially, I was going to just get there to speak about the Persian language and what you just called revival, Persian revival. And Shubia, I mean, um, I'm, I'm sure it's it's quite important to reference Shubia as well. But I personally, I see Shubia very important in the the movement that managed to get. Iranian intelligentsia, Iranian literati, Iranian viziers, Iranian basically bureaucrats into the, the courts of the Arab uh, sultans and Arab kings in order to, uh, for, for well, first of all, to give political legitimacy to the Arab kings, as well as gaining power for these people who were not necessarily Arab, but they had the knowledge and uh, of the, they, they could, for example, translate old Persian literature Pahlavi literature, not only just literature, but also the how to govern, how to rule. And they could translate this into Arabic for these uh, sultans. And this was very important. And for in order to be able to gain political legitimacy for themselves, in order to be able to do this, they needed to uh, present themselves as uh, equal to, to Arabs. And of course, they went back to the, to the text of the Quran and to early Islam and to say that we are all brothers. And, uh, but, but let's not forget a lot of them also mostly wrote in Arabic as well. And it's, yeah, they wrote Arabic and, and they are coming from yeah. different backgrounds, not only Persian. You know, even exactly. Shubiyeh movement, they have different backgrounds yeah. because Shubiyeh was mainly an anti-Mavali movement. So they were yeah. against the uh, uh, racial policies, harsh racial policies of the caliphs, not preserving a kind no, of they, identity. They, 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 exactly. So there was no point of preservation or survival of an identity. It was about... Well, we we can do this as well. Exactly. And we are all brothers, and yes, and and, that's and right. let us be part of this uh, political establishment. Okay. So uh, another point: What about the name of Iran uh, existing in the in the works of Ferdowsi? Okay, I'll, I'll definitely get there. I'll definitely get there to the name of Iran. Um, but first, let's speak about the the question of the Persian language. Among the incorrect information again in the series is the strange claim that in the whole of the Middle East, Persians were the only people who kept their language. So I'm quoting now from episode one, again from the narration of episode one, and here's the quote. 
Today, Iranians' sense of who they are is as strong as when their story began. They are the only people in the Middle East to preserve their identity and their language despite waves of invasion and revolution. And obviously this is, um, I mean, uh, incorrect. We know that there are so many people in the Middle East who uh, have kept their language, if, if you want to put it in that way. I mean, from the Assyrians uh, to the Kurds, to the Gilaks and to the Tabari Mazandaranis, to um, so many other ethnicities in uh, the Middle East, the Baluchis okay. and, so and it, the uh, others. Uh, if I, and if also, I were to I, wait, say... Wait. Okay, okay. Yeah, in a, another quote, again, regarding the, the only people who kept the language is by uh, Professor Robert Hillenbrand, who says, again, quote, this is a quote, If you look at the people of North Africa, they used to speak Latin. Now they speak Arabic. If you look at the Syrians, they used to speak Greek. Now they speak Arabic. So did the Egyptians. It's the Persians who have kept their language. And by the way, only the Persians. There is something special going on there. So there is again Iranian exceptionalism, inaccurate information, also about people in North uh, North Africa, which says they spoke Latin as if they didn't speak anything before the Roman Empire, and and also the Egyptians and also the Syrians spoke uh, Greek and everything, but then they say um, now the only ones who kept the language is Persian. It doesn't realize that Syria includes of so many other people. Who speak their still speak their language, including the Kurds and the the, who's, uh, the the Kormanj Kurds and the Assyrians, so many other people who still speak their language, which is a very strange claim from a professor who I'm more than sure that knows that these people still speak their own languages and yet decides makes the decision to say the Persians are the only people in the Middle East who kept their language after the despite the Arab invasion. So, what do you think about this? Well, well I, I agree with you. I mean, like, even even in within the Sasanian and Achaemenid empires, they were not monolingual. They were bilingual, more than bilingual, they were trilingual because they have this vast, you know, uh, territory and they, they must have governed all groups of people. So in their um, testaments, in their announcements, we, ha we are observing... Uh, different languages, you know, it, within uh, it within one testament, for instance. I mean, like uh, during the time of Sasanians, uh, we have three languages: Parthian, uh, at sometimes Greek, as well as Middle Persian. They were all uh, somehow official lang languages of the of the, of the Sasanian court. Uh, for different, you know, uh, usages and intentions for communication, for trade, and for religion. For instance, for religion, you had this Avestan language for communication. You, they used to uh, rely more on the uh, uh, Parthian and Greek, and so uh, all sorts of different languages were were, were existing inside, even inside the ad administrative section of the empire of the empire. Maybe the, the, the point is that why uh, Persian became an official language of, of, of some local governments in Iran. Um, for instance, the Safarids and the, Samani, the Samanids. And late after Samanids, the Turks, the Ghaznavid Turks, they kept Persian as the official language. I myself believe that, first of all, 
these local governments, they were coming from a Persian background. They didn't know any other language. That, that's quite natural, you know. So there are. So we are. We have. We have evidence and so many documents uh, of uh, these local emirs um, ordering Persian poets to write poetry in Persian, not in Ar in Arabic. So that means by that time many Iranian poems they used to write in Arabic because Arab Ar Arabic was quite hegemonic but back then. But with the emergence of these local governments from Persian yeah, background, also they paid. They paid. I mean, they wanted. They, they needed yeah, the money. Yeah, that's from the, the that's from, the point. So because Amirs wouldn't understand Arabic, that's the point. That's yeah. that's why, for instance, yeah. the Safari Amir. Uh, Yaqub Elisa Safari says, I can't understand what you're saying. If you want to praise me, praise in a language so that I can, I can, I can understand it. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, so again, we have this, uh, this very import, important point. It is this uh, political force, this imperial force behind, uh, the, uh, the, uh, behind the hegemony of a specific language and a specific culture. Mm -hmm. It is also very important that, uh, that the language that during this, this time, this what they call the Persian revival, that comes to be the official language of the Samanians, for example, which eventually becomes the language of the, the official language of Iran, which is the official language of Iran today, the Persian, the modern Persian, was at the time a dialect in the northeast of the, the the territory that was that that is now consists of Iran in Central Asia in a way, and which eventually found its way to be the the modern Persian that we now speak of. Yeah, and yeah. because because these dynasties rose in that part of the land, that language, that dialect of Persian, became that dialect of old Persian became. Uh, was evolved into becoming the modern Persian. And uh, as you correctly mentioned, the power was extremely important in this, uh, in this uh, revival of the language. And also the fact that many books that were written in, in the past were written in the old Persian about the rules of governance, how to rule, how to, uh, the bureaucracy, the yes. divan salary. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. The time were written in Persian. And, uh, and many poets started writing Persian because a, a dynasty and a monarchy came into power in which the, the rulers spoke Persian as their first language and they praised them in the language that they, they understood as well. Yeah, and the kind of Persian language which was specific to the northern eastern part of Iran, not the Persian mm -hmm. that uh, central part of Iran used to, used to speak. So we have exactly. different, numerous dialects, of course. Mm -hmm. So the kind of Persian that we are speaking today is in Iran is emerging from this northeastern part of the uh, Iranian land, uh, from the uh, the border, the border, the, the border region between Central Asia and uh, Khorasan, uh, that 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 section of the of the Iranian land. Uh, so the, yeah, which is, is which a is specific why Persian the, the, dialect. The... Yeah. That the in Tajikistan they still speak that kind of uh, Persian. And Absolutely. in north of Afghanistan, um, 
yeah so um yeah it's 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 quite important because the in this documentary it is present it's presented as if there was a sense of uh, national identity that people just sat together and said what should we do let's yeah. preserve our language and bring something from the past and just keep it together and like as if it's pickled onions or something let's mm. le- let's keep it and uh, preserve oh yeah bloody arabs and, but in reality, uh, it's, it, the process was much more fluid and much more mm-hmm. interwoven with the structure of power, in fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, I'm waiting for your answer to the question of uh, the presence of the name Iran in the, in the works of Ferdowsi or even, even Nasser Khosrow in one, in one instance, I know. How would you explain that? Exactly going to start with the name uh, Iran now. Mm. So uh, again, another information that I wanted that is presented in the series that needs correction is the presentation of the first known inscription of the name Iran. Mm -hmm. um, When they are talking about the the inscriptions, the carving, the the stone carvings in Naqsharostam. Uh, yes, and in the series, from the f- this first inscription that is mentioned in this in this carving, they conclude the birth of the Persian nation. From the inscription of the name Iran, they conclude the birth of the Persian nation. As we said, um, they conflate these two consistently. Not only they conclude from the name Iran, the Persian nation, they also attach modern concepts such as nation and national identity to distant pre-modern past. And I, I personally think there is, uh, this is a very much ideological um, uh, decision and uh, obviously an anachronistic one. So in episode two, there is a Nakhcherostam carving of Ardashir the first, which represents in the in the, and this is a quote from the series. This is how they translated it. It says, "Worshipper of Ahura Mazda, this is Ardashir." King of Kings of Iran, which is incorrect. The the inscription, the, the translation of the inscription, as far as we know, does not say Iran, but says Ardashir, King of Kings of the Iranians. It it, <laughs> it talks about the people and not the country or the. Well, that, that's the a huge difference, country. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we, because Iranians or the uh, Iran was an Avestan concept. Avesta talks about uh, the people that he's talking to and, and it calls it Iran or the Aryan, which is, can be translated in, in Parthian as Aryan as well. But the fact that the name, the term Iran or Iran Shah, in fact, existed in Sasanian um, time, it's true. Although in this inscription, it talks about Iranians, the king of Iranians, the term Iran Shah exists in Sasanian uh, propaganda. And that is the term that they assigned to the territory they uh, they ruled over. Yeah. So, so Iran Shah is the territory that the Sasanians ruled over. And many academics, I mean, there is a trend that they, academics in Iranian studies or nationalist arguments take this, the fact that the term Iran or Iran Shah was mentioned in, in Sasanian propaganda, in literature, mm-hmm. yes, yes. to say the Iran as a country existed then, mm-hmm. uh, or the sense of national identity of Iranianness in as a modern concept, it existed in pre-modern Sasanian period. And I, I mean, I often remember when, when I hear this argument. I remember when in uh, Washington D.C. I saw a map at the Library of Congress, which was in on display. I'm not sure if it still is. It's they call it. 
um, the the kind of the the birth certificates of America, or um, it, it's a map from 1507, on which the first recording of the name America, the first time America is mentioned, is on this map from 500 years ago, basically. It's um, it's a map of the the American continent. I mean, it's I mean, it's not fully discovered. Obviously, it's not fully conquered the continent yet. But but it says on it America in 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 one corner of it. Um, it says America. So the Europeans, the European conquerors and monarchs who conquered this new land, they called this on this map at least America. Now imagine if an American nationalist comes up and says, look, from 1507, the sense of American national identity existed and then and use it as an umbrella term to talk about all of the people who lived on that land. For example, all of the Native Americans, right now we call them Native Americans, I'm sure they have uh, specific names. All of the Native Americans, all of the Native people who lived on that land and then someone came and wrote as part of their propaganda the title America on that map. And then an, 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 a nationalist in 20th century says, look, there is the name America there. So all of these people had a sense of American national identity in 1507, which is precisely what my uh, followers of this trend in Iranian studies and many Iranian nationalists follow to say, look, Sasanian kings mentioned Iran Shah in the, this text and that text on this carving, as a result of which the sense of Iranian national identity existed between all of the people at that time in, uh, in the Sasanian era. Look, that's a proof. And I think that's a trick. That's mm -hmm. an anachronistic way of looking at uh, history. Mm -hmm. The fact that a monarch calls it Iran does not mean that the people in this land have a sense of national identity. It's the the machine of a dynasty that calls it that. It doesn't mean that a person in Khorasan and a person in today Azerbaijan in 1,400 years ago had a sense of national unity and brotherhood and sisterhood together. It is, in my opinion, is the work of a propaganda machine. And it is the term that survives throughout centuries. And it is a term, the term Iran survives throughout centuries. And when Shahnameh Ferdowsi wants to talk about this distant past, he talks about Iran as if at the land that existed. And obviously Ferdowsi is also the, the intelligentsia, he's, he's the elite, and he has read or he is aware of these stories. And he talks about um, them in this sense, the, the land of Iran, the Iran and Iranians. These are, these are the concepts that existed. I'm not saying Iran and Iranian are modern concepts. These mm -hmm. terms, at least, existed in the past, mm -hmm. not exactly as we are called, is saying it today, mm -hmm. but the way they are presented in this documentary, that with their modern um, meaning, the, mm -hmm. the modern meaning, by, by which I mean the modern nation-state, national mm -hmm. identity meaning, mm -hmm. they cannot in that model be kind of assigned to distant remote past, pre-modern past, and which mm -hmm. is something that this documentary does and many in the... Mm -hmm. Iranian studies uh, mm -hmm. so that's, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. my answer to that specific mm -hmm. question mm -hmm. so uh, talking about Shahnameh the series uses Shahnameh as a kind of binding factor to pull the structure of the series together how what do you think about the representation of Shahnameh I'm sure you uh, this is the period of history that you worked very well on so I I, sh I mean I'm, I'm happy to just listen to you how do you find the, its representation of Shahnameh and Ferdowsi 
And obviously, in another thing that this series mentions is that as, as if Ferdowsi came up with these stories for the first time. And while we know these stories existed, I mean, Shahnameh of Abu Mansuri and, and others existed before that. Many of these stories existed before that. The work of Ferdowsi is that he brought them together and put them and, and presented them as poetry. But there is a whole narrative around Shahnameh that he carries the weight of Persian identity and Iranian identity. He was, if it wasn't because of Shahnameh, what would the identity be? For example, this example from, from this quote from episode one. Shahnameh was the special thing that allowed Persian language and culture to survive. Like the special thing. Another one from Professor Jones. Shahnameh is the soul of Iran, is the absolute essence of being Iranian. Another one is um, by uh, Professor Jones again. An Iranian people who had been oppressed by an Arab invader. He, Ferdowsi, is consistent throughout it. Uh, that he is a good Muslim, but he is anti-Arab, and he is a, I suppose we can call him, an Iranian nationalist. A prototype, I suppose, of a kind of Iranian nationalism you find in Shahnameh. So he's talking about Iranian nationalism in um, the work of Ferdowsi and the fact that he was uh, an anti-Arab. I mean, I have plenty quotes here and there about the way Shahnameh is uh, presented in this documentary series. And also it shows this Naqal, this storyteller of Shahnameh, uh, that, that as if that's something that every Iranian has seen uh, in, in their life. And that's every Iranian in every tea house at the corner of every street, there is a Naqal or a storyteller telling about the story of Shahnameh. I mean, while in reality, you and I know that this is a tourist version of Iran. There's Naqali that doesn't necessarily exist in the way that it used to exist like centuries ago. It's very rare, extremely rare, that you go to an authentic tea house which has an authentic Naqali which is not present, put there for the case of the tourist attraction. Generally, how do you find this um, presentation, representation of Shahnameh and Ferdusi himself? Yeah, I think one of the reasons is that that's 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 why you're trying to make a bridge from the uh, uh, modern era to the pre-modern era, uh, and uh, you you want to keep up with the narrative, and then you somehow struggle to show that this is the case in reality, and so in order to show that Shahnameh is the only representation of the Iranian identity, and to show that the people are stick with that, you go to. Uh, a middle-class family somewhere in in Iran. Uh, uh, all of the family members are are citing uh, poems from Sh from Shahnameh, and then the mother is is uh, telling stories of Shahnameh as some sort of bedtime stories to to her children, and the father is uh, <laughs> is is the guardian of this Iranian identity who is i was really is, scared is, of him yeah <laughs> oh, quite 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 yeah uh, <laughs> as if iranian identity is a bless uh from god it is a divine thing he says it is a divine thing in this series actually mm. uh mm. he says that preserving our iranian identity is a religious task is a, is a divine task so mm. it's it's getting even dangerous uh at some point in the series by by showing that family but to me as an Iranian, that that sequence in in in, in that household seemed quite artificial, artificial. That and, was very and, strange and made up, to be honest with you. And made yeah. up because, yeah. yeah, because you know, if you want to uh, say that we are Iranians, 
and then for that you start reading Shahnameh every night and quoting Shahnameh on every occasion. I mean that's like silly because this is not all the walls are covered with like Shahnameh as well. And it was very strange. Yes, and Iranian people rarely do go uh, to those coffee houses that are uh, that are that 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 the storytellers are there uh, uh, saying the stories of. of I mean, of if, even if you go, I've, I've been to many tea houses in Iran. There is no naqal storyteller. There, I mean, there isn't simply. Yeah, that, if you if you tradition... want to show, yeah, if you want to show the contemporary Iran and how people are are dealing with numerous cultural issues as well as the key issue of being Iranian, you can go to underground, underground, you know, places of, 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 of where, where artists are performing music, where, uh, alter, uh, progressive and alter and, and avant-garde poets are, are presenting their exactly. works to each other, that, that is, to each that other. Is the art we have filmmakers, we have, Persia. yeah, exactly. We have writers, young writers challenging the dominant narratives no, of the country. This is Iran today. The Western Orientalist eye wants to see a preserved pre-modern idea of Iran. They don't want to see the av- the avant-garde. They want to no no you don't we do the avant-garde. We do mm. the experimental modern That's a good stuff. point. That's you a good point. you keep you keep the preserving your onion oh, yeah. pickles from pre-modern <laughs> era, pre-modern but, time. Yeah, mm. yeah, by citing Shahnameh, which is which is quite absurd. Um, um can I just um uh, ask you one question again in order to balance the argument and to challenge your line of argument a bit. Um, so can we say, yes, there are multiplicity, both uh, from ethnic point of view, uh, from racial point of view, from uh, language and religious point of view, but there are some similar features uh, connecting all these multiple identities together. I mean, there are some, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just trying to pose a question. By saying that although we have different groups of people with different backgrounds within these Iranian lands, however, culturally, they are connected to each other and Shahnameh is playing a role in these, you know, uh, in this, um, you know, uh, connecting all different Iranian groups uh, inside the Iranian lands. So uh, in that case, can we say that uh, from the cultural point of view, we have some specific features which are quite consequent uh, in culture in, in different you know cultural and literary productions throughout centuries in Iran. that is to say by examining different texts from different uh, you know historical periods we can somehow um take out uh, some main uh, features cultural features in terms of uh, worldview, you know, religious worldview, philosophical worldview. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, literary and aesthetic, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, elements. All these things together, we 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 might be we, we might end up with a list of you know statements which belong to all sorts of these different backgrounds. And can we then say? That we have something like Iranianness, or a kind of Iranian worldview, or the way Iranian people are seeing their relationship with fundamental issues such as God, the world, the universe, the, the universe, 
um, and things like that. Do you believe, do you, do you think this is um, right? Uh, well, obviously, I mean, first of all, regarding Shahnameh, <clears throat> don't get mm. me wrong, I don't want to undermine Shahnameh or yeah, anything. Yeah, I think Shahnameh is fantastic, it's great. Mm. I, I can't count how many times I've cried with Shahnameh, different mm -hmm. stories as a mm -hmm. child. I mean, even before I could read, uh, mm -hmm. I used to hear the stories and then you can you start being able to read and you read the stories first as um, as prose and then you start reading the, the, the poems as well. Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they're... They're magnificent, and and I remember at the beginning, I uh, when I was little, I thought it was real as well. Shah, I, I actually thought Shahnameh was real, and uh, and then eventually my dad told me, no, these are actually some of them are not real. Some of them are like mythology. I mean, the div, the demon, the 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 big, uh, the the giant monster, it didn't really exist, and I was quite upset about that actually <laughs> that they didn't exist, but. Um, but yes, Shahnameh is extremely important and especially it's extremely important today in creating that sense of identity. And of course, I agree that the sense of Iranian-ness and Iranian national identity exists today. And there is no doubt in that it exists. And what my problem is that taking this identity, this sense of national identity now mm -hmm. and attaching it to the remote past, mm -hmm. then I think it becomes problematic. And then I think it uh, presents itself as a political, ide political and ideologically loaded decision to present something in the past as if people today had a role in it. Like so, when when for example, it, it creates the sense that people start saying we did this when they're talking about two thousand years ago, and we did that, and we did this, and then the, it brings otherness, the Arab invaders, and That's it creates right. that sense of. Iranian yeah, anti-Arab, yeah. we know which is a major problem, anti-Arab uh, racism that exists in Iran and, and, and in the region. And also just the, the sense of hatred towards the other. Yeah, and by, I do, by I attaching... Yeah, absolutely the, right. the, Yeah, this yeah. quite problematic, raci racist and, uh, and even fascistic at, at, at some point. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but let me just, because I want to... Uh, Put myself in the shoes of someone like Professor Hillenbrand. Okay, if you say that uh, you have, for instance, Zoroastrianism with specific, you know, statements in the Zoroastrian discourse, and then you have uh, uh, some uh, philosophical, you know, uh, discourses after the invasion of Arabs within the uh, discipline of Islamic philosophy uh, done by done by philosophers such as Avicenna and even in lit in, in, in literature uh, in the in the works of Nasser Khosrow or Khayyam or Sanoi for instance uh, if someone shows you some similarities between for instance some aspects of Zoroastrianism and Persian uh, Sufism and Persian philosophy I mean by Persian I mean those works that are written in Persian language don't get me wrong um, and then later on you have a Shiism and then someone might uh, say that okay again there are some similarities uh, between Zoroastrianism and Sufism and Shiism and then so there is a there's a line connecting someone from uh, pre-Islamic period to someone from the um, uh, Islamic Middle Ages to someone from early modern period uh, in Iran. Uh, and then someone like Professor Hillenbrand, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, this is an example, I'm not saying that Professor Hillenbrand believe in this, 
But uh, someone from the point of view of someone like Professor Hillenbrand, you might end it up, end it, ending up by saying that okay, there is a Persian identity, there is an Iranianness with a specific you know characteristics, and this is and because it the, the, there is a continuation, then there we go, they have a specific uh, identity. Is that right? Um, every school of thought, every movement, every ideology, name it comes from something that existed before it. it, it it's yeah. not created out of a vacuum, of course. It is created in a big pot of div- many different things. And Absolutely. this comes out of it. Of course, I agree with yeah. you. Uh, there are many similarities between, uh, let's mm. say, uh, Zoroastrianism and Shiism and then the Islamic mysticism. They can mm. be connected. Of course, they can be connected. But then again, so many other things can be connected to each other. Good. And a lot of people that, that were involved in connecting these uh, spiritual movements, mystic movements, uh, yeah. um, Shi'i movement, they weren't even Persian. There were many of them were Turks, many of them were Kurds, many of them from northern Iran. I mean, the you know the part, the Tabaristan and Daylaman, Gilan yeah, and Mazandran, yeah, they were yeah. extremely important in the in the Shi'i movement. The, the, this is the part of Iran that for centuries. Uh, remain out of the reach of Arabs and out of the reach of Islam. And when eventually it was conquered, it became a hotspot for uh, Shi rebellions. But, but they are not even Persian. They, they don't have Persian identity, these people. Um, of course, I mean, even when, when they have, for example, Ziarian, they, they write their books in, tab- uh, in tab- Tabari. Marzban Nameh, for example, a big chunk of Ghabus Nameh is in Tabari. Marzban Nameh was originally written entirely in Tabari. They don't have Persian identities. They eventually take the whole of Iran and when, when they're in other parts of Iran, they take, uh, for example, al the Buid uh, dynasty, takes uh, Persian as the official language of, of their dynasty, but they are not Persian. So um, they, they don't have necessarily Persian identity. So what about what about the uh, Shahnameh? Because Shahnameh is at the center of this TV series. Um, so one might again challenge you by saying that, okay, you are coming from uh, uh, a a different uh, background. You're coming from the uh, northern part of Iran. You're having, uh, I think, you're coming from a Mazandarani background. Is that is that it? Is that the case? Is that right? Me, well, from from me, from one side, yes, from yeah. my father's side. From yes. from your father's side, you come from Mazandaran, and your father used to read Shahnameh and used to read Shahnameh for you, and you are very yeah. well familiar with the stories of Shahnameh. So again, exactly. you are coming from a non-Persian background, but you mm-hmm. are you are you are consuming uh, these you know major uh, literary work called Shahnameh. Exactly, and but in Shahnameh there is this... in Shahnameh there is a history of ancient Persian kings. So exactly. Is... So Ka- let's mm-hmm. let's t- let's remember. Let's mm-hmm. remember. I mean, we'll get to that. How Mazandaran is presented in Shahnameh. I mean. Don't get me started on that. But um, <laughs> the, the land of the demons, obviously. But uh, the, in, the point is that my father wrote, uh, read me stories of Shahnameh in the 20th century, long after the bloody uh, process of the construction of Iranian uh, modern nation state in early 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, mm-hmm. the, during, the, during the Reza Shah. Mm-hmm. And all, long after the late 19th century, intellectual discussions and argument discourse mm-hmm. around uh, Iranianness and Iranian identity by the time my father was reading me Persian uh, we we were all part of the Iranian identity and he was reading me stories of that something that he kind of associated himself with 
he didn't uh, see the uh, mm-hmm. Shahnameh mm-hmm. as something from the outer world, from the uh, some other people, but he was all Iranian, right? So we uh, we are talking about the time, the modern time, when the sense of national identity of mm-hmm. Iranianness mm-hmm. exists. I mean, mm-hmm. it exists. I mean, even if you don't believe in nationalism, it, it exists mm-hmm. in many, among many people. Iranianness. Oh, I've come from Iran. I'm Iranian. Whatever, mm-hmm. and we share a lot of cultural uh, similarities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when we take this kind of, uh, but we can't take this attitude to few centuries passed and say, okay, Shahnameh had the same uh, role uh, in every household and in every family in Iran where everyone felt a uh, sense of national identity. But then again, uh, Shahnameh, as well as being a carrier of uh, Persian language and a, a big chunk of Iranian mythologies, it's also, I mean, in many ways, let's not completely romanticize and glorify it, it has, uh, it creates otherness. And I'm not even talking about the Turks or the Turan and Arabs or anything like that. When it's talking about the demons, especially the demons of Mazandaran, where the Rostam, the main figure, goes to Mazandaran and kills all of these demons. I mean, there are a few Mazandarani academies who have done very interesting job uh, research into who actually and which specific uh, historical Battles these the the Haftkhane, the the seven uh, labors of Rostam is talking about, and who was Arjang Div, who was Ola Div, and who was uh, Div Sapid, the the white demon, the white Div of Mazandaran. I mean, this, let's not forget that there are these aspects of Shahnameh as well. It's um, interesting you mentioned the white Div because the white Div is also mentioned in the TV series, but quite with a different exactly. interpretation. So based exactly. on your interpretation, and these demons are representing faces of others, and and some uh, facing they are representing threats, foreign threats, natural, nat- natural, even natural disasters in the form of demons and divs. Uh, whereas in these, in these, in these, uh, in one of the episodes, it seems that uh, I think it was Professor Hillenbrand that uh, gave his own interpretation, but uh, which is which is interesting. But to put it as the uh, meaning of that myth, the white div, which is quite which is quite uh, a bit problematic. You can you can explain that exactly and exactly. And we, I have the quote from Professor Hillenbrand. He says. Unquote. His worst enemy, and he's talking about Rostam, so quote, his worst enemy is the white div, the absolute incandescent essence of evil. Killing the white div is killing the evil in all of us. It's a straightforward moral victory. I mean, of course, it is his interpretation, but in reality, um, this is a story about a king going to uh, someone else's land and getting stuck there, and his hero being Rostam, goes there and uh, like uh, in the land of Mazandaran I mean it's not even it's not even hiding the truth the, the Rostam goes there and kills all of these divs and I mean of mm-hmm. course it's in Shahnameh it's not going to say killing innocent people these are divs these are demons they they have to be killed they need they they deserve to be dead and um, and 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 he saves uh, his king and him he brings him back and he, and we know that north of Iran this Mazandaran this land was the land kind of very difficult to get to, where it was extremely difficult to conquer for 
it was difficult uh, to conquer for Arabs. Zoroastrianism even arrived there quite later than the mainland Iran, other parts of Iran. It was very difficult for Arabs uh, to get there because of you the mean very Islam. High... Islam get there quite late, not Zoroastrianism. Islam late, right, yeah. but then I mean even Zoroastrianism uh -huh. as well in okay. prior. Okay. prior uh, so it, it arrived there later than other parts of Iran. I mean, and um, uh, but eventually, of course. Uh, so because of the high mountains from one side, like uh, it goes up to, Damavan goes up to 5,671 meters. And then mm. Very the well whole remembered. of the Caspian Yeah, <laughs> we are used to go up the mountains in Iran too much. Oh, yeah. And then the Caspian Sea on on the other side. So it's very, there's a, a strip of land that is very fertile that is uh, uh, very, I mean, it's, it's the, the wealth, the treasure of Mazandaran. Kavus goes there for, for this treasure. And um, uh, Kavus, the king that gets stuck and Rostam has to save him. So these, these kind of, is this aspect of Shahnameh is completely glossed over. That the fact that it creates otherness, not only uh, among other actual um, uh, Turan and Arabs and these kind of entities, these political entities that it creates, but among other uh, people in the internal land that it calls Iran, and and those are, for example, in this case, uh, the the people of Mazandarano who 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 had to be massacred by the hero being Rostam. And this this aspect of Shahnameh is completely glossed over, and I mean it should be pointed out as somewhere. So can we just, uh, the, if that's the case, are we allowed to say that so Shahnameh can be the story of a nation of a specific nation? And that is why it is based on uh, uh, constructing otherness. And that's why some poets with huge sympathy to this identity uh, also um, somehow uh, have this pride as to their ancestors and try to relate themselves to a kind of, you know, uh, pre-Islamic glorious past, um, which sometimes... Uh, it does seem quite racist uh, the way that some Persian poets uh, recall their uh, family background does seem quite racist so we can conclude that there is uh, at some extent we can say that Shahnameh is the story of a specific people a, a group of a, a nation maybe maybe I don't know um, uh, I, Iran, I, I, and then and then it Shana is full of otherness and these things. Mm. Shahnameh, I totally agree, is about a very specific people. Mm -hmm. And it's about um, the, the dynasties that ruled over Iran. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily about the people in, in uh, who were ruled by these dynasties. As I mentioned, the people mm -hmm. of Mazandaran are demonized. And uh, in this specific uh, mm -hmm. chapter, the, the, mm -hmm. the seven labors of the chapter mm -hmm. of seven labors of Rostam. It's not specifically about the ordinary people, as you know. I mean, the, the, the ordinary people are rarely mentioned in Shahnameh. And you don't really expect ordinary mm. people to be mentioned in these pre-modern texts. For example, in, in the Iliad and, uh, and mm. Ulysses, they are not really about ordinary people. They're about kings and they're about uh, commanders and they're about brave soldiers and Hector mm. and mm -hmm. Achilles. And the Persian ones are also about Sohrab and Isfandiar and, uh, and Rostam. And you don't find ordinary people. And I'm afraid at some points, 
the ordinary people are in sometimes even demonized and a big chunk of what we call Iran today being Mazandaran is like the guy the the, the king goes there gets stuck and then his hero Rostam has to go there and just massacre a bunch of demons thieves and then the white thieves as well um so i agree that it's about a specific people and that's why it creates otherness but it's about a specific dynasty that it's mm-hmm. talking about there's different dynasties in that land i mean that that's uh, my take on this and th- then again that does not stop me from enjoying reading shahnameh i mean i read mm-hmm. the uh, the lines and it, it, they, it just does it for me in terms of the the power in in its literature and how it also opens a way into how history was perceived in pre-modern time, especially at the time of Ferdowsi, how they saw what we now know was Sasanians and the Achaemenids and the, and the, in these mm-hmm. dynasties, how they perceived these uh, pre-modern past without having the archaeological discoveries and that we have now today. So it opens our eyes into uh, it. It kind of gives us a lens to uh, how history was perceived mm-hmm. in pre-modern time. I, I understand. Um, so th- um, sorry, this is my last question. I I, I promise. Um, Again, um, so the fact that uh, Ferdowsi uh, wrote Shahnameh during the early Islamic centuries, I mean, um, although the content of Shahnameh belongs to the uh, pre-Islamic era, and for instance, um, in the cases of Iliad and Odyssey, we know that um, there is a huge, you know, uh, distance from the historical point of view between uh, Shahnameh as the Persian epic work and for instance a, 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 a work like Odyssey so there is this delay in somehow uh, uh, producing this epic uh, 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 major grand work uh, of Iran can we say then for someone like Ferdowsi there was some sort of self-consciousness to a kind of Iranian identity which triggered him to uh, finish this grand work uh, because because of the fact that Shahnameh was produced uh, well after the uh, uh, Arab invasion and during the time that Iranian people were uh, somehow facing with their new rulers, they were facing with a new religion and uh, they were facing with a new language and therefore uh, someone like Ferdowsi had some sort of self-consciousness to this idea of preserving the kind of idea that we were so against uh, during our session. And that's why he wrote Shahnameh. How about that? Um, okay. And in, regarding the term identity, don't get me wrong. I don't mean mm-hmm. people didn't have any identity in okay. pre-modern time. Mm-hmm. I, I, identities have existed, mm-hmm. of course. I, mm-hmm. Either it's a tribal identity, okay, this mm-hmm. is my family or this is my yeah. tribe or different types of uh, identities, of course they existed. But what I am against is uh, the, the term national identity. Yes. That is an extremely modern term, and it's specifically about the model of governing a country, a state, nation state, mm-hmm. and that creates the national identity. And to, to take that and attaching it to, assigning it to the remote past, that's the one thing I'm, mm-hmm. I, I find mm-hmm. it ideologically mm-hmm. problematic. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Ferdusi, um, I mean, I don't know how, how exactly he identified himself as, but I'm sure he, he had a certain identity where he was talking mm-hmm. about. And, um, and the texts that were available to him at the time 
did have the bearing of the name Iran and Iranian on it, mm -hmm. and he, he used those terms. I mean, he may have identified himself as one of those, but then again, even if he did, he, he was like, okay, I'm Iranian now, from now on, or Turanian, or, mm -hmm. which was the, the whole word of Shahnameh, the early mm -hmm. Shahnameh, is Iran and Turan. Uh, it's not necessarily what we would call the today's conception of the term national identity. So okay. that, that is my take on that. Mm -hmm. Good, um, good, thank so, you. So, while we're at it, were you, um, and we mentioned, and you earlier on mentioned that the uh, continuation of the um, Zoroastrianism into Shiism, let's quickly talk about one of the symbols that is uh, referred to in this documentary series, and that is Farvahar. And that is the, the symbol of Far, or the, the divine legitimacy that is given to the kings by uh, Ahura Mazda, by, by, di by divinity. And one of the interviewees, I think is, which one is it? Is uh, Professor Jones. Uh, he actually wears this uh, badge on, uh, <laughs> on, uh, on his shirt. And it was quite interesting for me to see. I mean, because usually you see Iranian nationalists wear that. Yeah, in Iran. And, uh, if you see that sign, if you see that badge in Iran, uh yeah. you might be a little bit you know worried about the guy because, i mean you, yeah. i i feel uncomfortable if i yeah. see anyone wearing that mm -hmm. and uh it's it's immediately i mean it's almost i mean it reminds me of the nazi party in a way i mean it has the the, the two wings as well so if you're wearing that consciously it's like look at me i'm i mean i'm, mm. I'm gonna punch you in the face basically that's yeah. that's <laughs> that's how i see that presented so with one of the interviews is wearing this card quite i mean to the by today's standards a very national nationalistic um, symbol but in uh, it's also talked about in the documentary as the symbol of far the divine legitimacy but it does not mention the fact that this is precisely the idea of far which this documentary quite glorifies and says that kings and monarchs should learn from this this does not does not really mention the fact that this this very idea of far you can follow this through the, uh, the influence of Zoroastrianism into Islamic mysticism and follow that to the modern time, to the, to the Khomeini's theorization of Velayat of Faqih or the guardianship of the Supreme Jurist, which became the basis of um, the, the, what the Westerners call now the Supreme Leader of Iran. The, yeah. the basis of legitimacy for the Islamic Republic having this one figure at, top, at, uh, at its top, which apparently has divine legitimacy, and he's the supreme leader. He, they call it Vali Farih, which is based on the Khomeini's theory. It's not only Khomeini's, obviously, Khomeini's one of the people who developed this, but Velayat Farih, or, or the guardianship of uh, supreme jurists. And they forget to mention that that idea that you keep saying that, oh, the king forgot about it, that's why the Islamists took power after the Islamic Republic, did continue. And it ended up becoming the Islamic Republic's uh, supreme leadership. Yeah, so if you, yeah if I agree. You, yeah. I agree with that. I it's, agree with that totally. I, I think the idea of far or charisma, whatever you call it, uh, which is a kind of... It's close to something we also know as the divine right of the king, you know, uh, the source of legitimacy, the divine source of uh, the, the legitimacy of the king. So this is actually the main function of Fa. And so in, in the mythological world, in uh, it was in the form of 
uh, this bird uh, called as Far, who was a representative from the divine realm, and who was uh, so this bird used to confirm the position of the king as a, as a just and legitimate king. And once the king start doing bad deeds, start being unjust, start uh, uh, questioning the moral and religious values and rules, the fire is gone. It, 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 it flies away. So the ref- we, this idea of fire, which is a divine legitimacy of God, and and we have we have reformulations of far of the idea of far throughout the history of the Iranian literature. So I can make a connection between the far as a myth with uh, the descriptions that a famous uh, Persian poet Saadi is making of the characteristics of a just king. So uh, because most of these characteristics are religious and ethical and metaphysical. So they function, their, their function is, is so much close to the function of far, uh, the, 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 the myth, the, the, the Iranian myth. And again, somehow, yes, we have this, uh, another reformulation, but in, in, in the modern era, in the modern uh, context, which uh, we see in the, in the, in the theory of Valier Fari, the, the religious supreme leader, whose legitimacy is coming not from the people, but from beyond from the divine realm so in that in that case this uh, aspect of iranian culture actually is something that we should question we should criticize exactly. it not, not to glorify it yes not to yeah. glorify it or sugarcoat exactly and it is not i'm telling you because this is my this is the topic of my phd research and it is not only far uh, which has numerous ideological functions throughout the Iranian history. We have numerous ethical uh, statements and um, in the form of the Mirror for Princes books, in the form of the Book of uh, Codes of Conducts, that they also uh, uh, have uh, serious ideological functions. So this is one of my major uh, um, problems with this series. Because you are glorifying the uh, the past, because the the concept of Iranian identity is rep- is represented as something uh, even divine and uh, a com- and perfect and uh, quite idealistic, then you cannot criticize it. You cannot pose questions. You cannot address the ideological functions of of the aspects of this identity throughout the history. And this is against the project of uh, democracy and and, and modernity in Iran today, because being modern has to do with being open towards your other. It means being colorful, uh, use different perspectives, uh, trying to change your point of view and uh, see the subject from different aspects. These are the main features of a modern society and by promoting the idea of of uh, of iranian identity as a as a divine and and supernatural and totalized uh, uh, entity then you are therefore promoting 
an undemocratic and uh, an, an undemocratic democratic discourse. This is one of the major problems coming out from this narrative. And because you are unable to actually deconstruct the aspects of your cultural and literary past, therefore, some uh, problems are being reproduced throughout the history. That's why the project of uh, democratization uh, and modernization in Iranian history is going so slowly and we have this the reproduction of uh, dictatorship again and again throughout the throughout our modern history one of the reasons for that is that we were unable to criticize our past to make questions to analyze some aspects for instance what was the function of far what was the function of uh, uh iranian mirror for princes what was the function of uh, uh advising people to be patient of advising of of presenting silence as a virtue of of presenting uh the the firmament the universe as something which is decidedful uh to present time as something which passes and you are you are you and and you know persian mysticism uh, somehow devalues the the importance of uh, the importance of uh, of of human in in this very world because everything happens on the other world. You know the main emancipation occurs in in a metaphysical realm, not in a physical realm. The true you know uh, the true happiness be, and doesn't belong to this world. It belongs to the other, and you are not belong to this world. You are coming from a divine realm and you shall return to the divine realm. So imagine imagine how this discourse might function when it comes to uh, addressing some uh, the, 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 the problems of, of, uh, of uh, dictatorship, of, absolute, of absolutism in, in Iranian politics. Because this is when you have to focus on the role of, of a human in in you know shaping its 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 environment in shaping its future how people can change their their environment how people can stand against the unjust rulers so i think in some cases for instance some aspects of sufism won't help you in that regard so not every part of our past is quite uh, good and glorious and we should be able we should allow ourselves to criticize it, to deconstruct it, in order to get to a more open and multi-dimensional understanding of the text. Okay, so uh, yeah, I totally agree with you in that uh, regard. Uh, what whatever happened to critical theory? I mean, why why would we accept the past in in a big package and glorify it like that? Why not mention the bit about how that past translated into the modern time, including about the concept of far and which is now the dictatorship, the concept of supreme leader in the Islamic Republic. So it is interesting I because was... this thing happened in the, in, in the series by criticizing the Shah. Do you remember? Because I absolutely remember suddenly the uh, nationalistic, the, the nationalist policies of Shah and these, you know, um, uh, things like the, uh, the ceremony for, for the Cyrus the Great, 
Uh, oh yeah, no, uh, I haven't. We haven't get to the the, the, the oh, last have, bit of right, the series okay, yet. Okay, yes, I mean, okay because, I, because the same problem is happened there. Because yeah, yeah. The, the TV series is unable to to deconstruct the the cultural past, and again, it it somehow somehow uh, re reproduces exactly. the, the ideology. Also, it it com it it has a confused narrative because it goes against its own narrative towards the end. Um, yeah, that's correct. So I was quite uh, amused by the choice of figures, um, like literary figures that they chose to speak about. So who do they, who do we have? Uh, Saadi, um, Ferdusi, and who else? We have Nizam al-Mulk, who is not necessarily a literary mm. figure. I mean, he is a literary figure as well. But Nizam al-Mulk, Hafiz, who else did we have? Um, that's mm, pretty much yeah, it, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. That's pretty much uh, it. And Khayyam, of course, and, and, and Khayyam. And for example, what about Rudaki? For example, I mean, he is he is an important figure in in the so-called mm. Persian revival, mm. and um, or like Rumi. I mean, can you talk about Persian literature and not Rumi, or is he Turkish now? I mean, how how are we doing this? Mm. And um, Attar, uh, Nizami Ganjavi, even Nasser Khosro. I mean, yeah, yeah. what was what was the decision? What do we think was the decision behind choosing very quite, I mean, specific? Well, here we um, go again. Figures. Yeah, this is a this is a problem with exclusion. When you are sticking up with one line of narrative, then you have to keep excluding and selecting those examples which which cor corresponds with your with your myths, and that's why you have to keep excluding. Um, well, I can maybe the producers can say that uh, we had. We had we had limited time. We, oh, we, they can, we cannot discuss that. all yeah. aspects yeah. Of, of 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 Persian literature. This wasn't about uh, literature at, anyway. Um, I think the selection is quite good. I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, I, let it, me say this. Let me say this. I'm not. I do not have any problem. Well, I do not have any problem with not you know in, uh, um, introducing other figures. Oh. It could have, yeah, Rumi, Attar, these figures are quite important. But uh, my problem was with how the, even with the, how, how the TV series actually represented these figures that you just mentioned. I mean, even, uh, well, we have the names Khayyam, Khaja Nasir, and Nisadi and Nizami, but uh, do we learn anything about them? That's my question. I mean, okay, I do not need the producers to to uh, mention Rumi and Attar as well. My, I would have loved to see even one major figure mentioned, but properly, you know, yeah. in full but aspects. Also, Salur, I do have a problem with not mentioning with mentioning a few because how many kings did you hear about, and how many? Poets. That's this right. is called art of Persia. That's right. This is That's not right. kings of Persia. Yeah. <laughs> and so, in in that sense, I no, I have a problem. If That's only right. four That's poets right. are mentioned, and in on the other hand, twenty kings, I have a problem with the series being called Art of Persia and not no, Kings I of agree. Persia. I agree. And, I agree. Uh, and 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 also, I mean, even in the literary figures that they choose, one of them is Nizam al-Mulk, who is a politician. Fair enough. I mean, he's a very important figure, mm. but he's a politician. He has written something, but he's not necessarily... I mean, I would have included so many others. And But okay, I didn't make this film, so it doesn't matter. It's their decision. But I that, that's, again, the problem with the title of the film. And then political right. figures. I ha We have quite um, specific types of political figures. 
For example, why include some kings and not others, some dynasties and not others? And why not include anything about Iran, the social movements that happen in that land? And what about, for example, the Ismailis, for example? Yeah, and, yeah, we and mentioned many that. Others we discussed about that, yeah. Yeah. Extremely important um, part of the history of Iran. The Shi'i movements, all these different colorful Shi'i movements all across Iran, from the north to the south. Maybe one of the reasons is that that's because uh, the Orientalist uh, narratives of history are political by nature. That's why, you know, this TV series is more a political statement rather than... Uh, uh, a, a, a piece of series about about Iranian uh, history and, and 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 culture. You know, this is a political act. It is not an academic or or, or cultural act. You are not about to educate people. You are about to set a manifestation. You are about to uh, um, announce your political stance according to the current situation. And this is what this TV series is doing, mainly. It is less about educating the audience. It is more about making things clear. You know, Iran is important. Iran uh, used to be an imperial state, and it might be still is, you know, who knows that. <laughs> um, and um, so do not uh, disregard Iran. Do not uh, uh, mess with Iran. Iran is an important country. And um, and with a with a with a uh, specific you know uh, language and identity, do not mess with it. And this is Iran. This is the map. This is the people, and this is their language and religion. We have the full pack, and now we can uh, uh, you know uh, rest short because now we know what is Iran. So this is this is this is more political rather than educational. Yeah, it's definitely, and I totally agree with you. And uh, again, on that note, I find it very difficult to understand, to believe that they made a whole series and they refused to, in to include the importance of the development of Shiism in Iran and to emphasize the, the role of Shiism in the construction of the Iranian identity, the modern Iranian identity. Because, again, I think that goes against the narrative that the Iranian identity existed before Shiism and Islam in pre-modern time. But then these are all uh, other stuff that Iranian identity had to survive despite them. But I, um, in my research, I, I mean, I came to the conclusion that Shiism especially is very important in the, the modern construction of the Iranian identity, no matter how much Reza Shah and, 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 and people want to say Reza Shah was against Islam and he limited the, the, the mullahs or whatever. They have, at the end of the day, they were Muslim. They were proud of being Muslim. And, uh, and they had a very good relationship, especially his son, very good relationship with the clergy. And also as, as a kind of as a pr proof to, to the claim, I mean, it's not only my claim, of course. So many others have mentioned the, the role of Shiism in the construction of Iranian identity. And, and they start usually from the Safavids uh, who made this the official religion of, the, of, their, of their territory. And they kind of with a sword of um, force made people to convert to Shiism. But in the modern time, uh, Shiism is extremely important. And as, as a proof, look what happens after the 1979 revolution and which parts of Iran 
are um, um, the Islamic Republic, the central government, faces trouble from sustaining its the its reach of its power. It's Kurdistan, it's Khuzestan, the Arab um, part of Khuzestan. It is Turkmen Sahra, the, the Turkmen part of Iran, and it is Baluchistan, and uh, all of which are the Sunni parts of uh, the country. The unity of the central government, the nation state, faces threats from non-Shi'i parts of this political entity that is the Iranian nation state. So even uh, in, in the 1980s, uh, Iranian national identity, even today, not everyone mm, considers themselves Iranian in the in the sense that the national identity wants to present itself. There are so many other people who are like, no, 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 we are not Iranian. We are something else. And um, and it's important to note that Shiism played a very important, vital role in constructing the, the the Iranian national identity, which is completely overlooked in this series because obviously Iranian identity exists existed before Islam, according to this series. And also, when it comes to Shiism, uh, it has a place in this narrative, you know, because Shiism belongs to Iranians. It is an Iranian response to Islam, and it is a way of appropriating Islam uh, through through constructing the Shiism and through de developing Shi, uh, you know, uh, theology. So again, we have Shiism as a production of Iranian identity. Which is again a familiar narrative that we, while we know that Shiism first appeared in Arabia and then eventually it came to Iran, of course. I mean, for years, I mean, the, the, Egypt was ruled by Fatimids who were Shi'is and they, they, and or Yemen was where they were Shi'is. They were not any anywhere near even Iran and she is not necessarily an Iranian thing. Of course, the Safavids, for example, used Shiism in order to present themselves as a political power in the face of the Ottoman Empire, which was a Sunni power. But it this does not make Shiism an Iranian thing. Yeah, just, Iranian... As, just as Sasanians use Zoroastrianism in their government. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a political political uh, tool in order yeah. to yeah, uh, sustain and their power. And then again, uh, so every king is fantastic and great, uh, Persian kings, whatever. And then uh, the, the narrative continues. Suddenly, from Nader Shah onwards, mm -hmm. the um, uh, the narrative starts to change. Yeah, and it's basically like the 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 old na idea that oh they lost their fire and and they became uh, corrupted with power. They got blinded by power, and then they, it completely overlooks and doesn't even mention the Qajar dynasty. And it arrives at the Pahlavis, forgets about the whole facts that the Pahlavis constructed the Iranian nation state. And there was a mass movement, massive process of authoritarian nation state building and national identity building. For first of all, I mean, doing the education system, Persian, doing the military system, the unification of the clothing, and so many other things, uh, subjugation of the local uh, lords and khans and massacres of the lords and so many other parts of Iran forced migration here and there to, to construct and create the nation state uh, that is Iran and officially as well name it Iran send letters to every foreign embassy and, that and, for, and for, forcing other uh, ethnical groups and other Iranian nations to to speak Persian and to learn speak Persian yeah. To, and, and, and yeah and stop uh, use their own native language as the as as 
exactly. educating language not only language but also the the clothing of course there was resistance towards it and his son had to uh, i mean allow the clothing to go away but then the education system continued with persian as the mainly it still is persian as the the language of the education system and uh, but these are these are these are the things that i mean it's not only in iran that this happened every other nation state that wants to create a nation state has most of it at least has gone through the same process of subjugation of um, the minorities and this happened in iran as well and it is vital in the construction of the iranian national identity but this series completely ignores it because again it goes against its narrative that iranian national identity existed in primordial times in before everything in the pre-modern distant past and because of that it does not mention this uh, whole modern construction the 19th century uh, intelligentsia introduction of the idea of nation idea of national identity and then the the actual political authoritarian construction of the national identity completely ignores all of this it arrives at the son the um, son of the, the second pahlavi muhammad reza shah throughout the three seasons this uh, episodes the series has used the narrative the aryan uh, ideology the aryan nationalist ideology of the pahlavi dynasty so it used the ideology and the narrative of the pahlavi dynasty regarding the, the distant past and the iranian identity and iranian uh, nation and then suddenly it turns and says oh the, but muhammad reza shah didn't uh, do uh, proper uh, governance and he lost his far this is their yeah. political analysis yeah. of pahlavi yeah, so, yeah exactly we realized that the problem of the series is not with pahlavi nationalist propaganda but it was because pa- uh, Muhammad Reza Shah was not a good king or stopped being a good king yeah. and stopped uh, <laughs> that's, learning. That's, that's the reason. Uh, Stop learning from Shahnameh and how Shahnameh has 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 um, described uh, the, the the good king. If Muhammad Reza Shah Pahlavi n- knew about the characteristics of of a good king which is stated in shahnameh then he, he would have he would he wouldn't have lost his 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 power and his monarchy which is quite interesting for me it's quite ideological so the problem was not of the not was wasn't because of the propaganda of the homogenizing and nationalist identity based propaganda and the way that the Pahlavi propaganda struggled to regain its legitimacy after the coup, after the 1953 coup. And it wasn't because of the suppression. It wasn't because of the exclusion of the people from this narrative. It was only because he was too proud and he didn't see it coming. Exactly. And this is the, the narrative it uses for the, for example, the Sasanian kings. And he says, that, oh yeah, Ardashir was great. Uh, Nanushirvan was great or whoever. But then the last king, Yazgird, was not good. And uh, we, they, they lost their fire and then the Arabs con- uh, conquered and everything. And it, it follows the same narrative with other kings uh, um, who, who were not good kings. And then they lose their fire. And then some foreign uh, invader succeeds over them. And then the Persians and the Iranians have to have to keep their identity despite that foreign invasion. And it sounds like at the end of this third episode, it's following on the same narrative to say, oh, this Persian king, Muhammad Reza Shah, 
um, lost his fat, and then these these foreign invaders, in a way, as if kind of conquered the lands, and these are the, the, the Islamic Republic, and and now people and Persians and, and Iranians have to kind of sustain their uh, their identity through despite this uh, these islamists the kind of the f continuation of the narrative leads you uh, unconsciously to that kind of conclusion which yes. is extremely inaccurate because um, for for many reasons which is not the, the i mean we are we are I, th I think we have spoken for okay almost three hours now almost three um hours, yeah. yeah let's not get into what the islamic republic really is <laughs> and yeah. um let's let's <laughs> let's wrap it up yes really. that's right. and, i think we, we all yeah. we almost said everything that we had to about this tv series uh at the end let me just add that i've heard from the news that um, as a result of this TV series, this is maybe one good outcome of this TV series, that British people start to buying uh, Shahnameh and read it, actually. So uh, I've realized, and I, I think I read it in, in Twitter, that, that uh, since these TV series went on air, uh, then uh, th there is this, uh, you know, boost in, in buying the book of uh, Shahnameh of Ferdowsi. I welcome this, but I wish it would have been based on more global and um, democratic platform rather than this identity-based nationalist, you know, uh, discourse. But anyway, I really welcome the fact that at least British people might start to read some some uh, books from the Persian uh, uh, literature so that they can... Uh, uh, realize better uh, how Persian uh, culture is uh, reconstructed and uh, throughout throughout different you know periods of history, and uh, it might help uh, a kind of dialogue between different groups of people between a Persian uh, between Iranian diaspora society and and maybe British people between different groups of Iranians themselves. Um, but unfortunately, I have seen people here. I'm 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 staying in Scotland right now. I I, I know few people uh, from all over the uh, UK uh, who have watched this TV series and they really enjoyed it a lot because of these nationalistic, you know, sentiments that was in this TV series. And they started to somehow, uh, you know, somehow uh, show themselves in front of their British others, you know, uh, British as others, as the non-Iranians people that look at us. Did you see? Did you see on your own TV? Did you see on BBC4 how great we are, how great we were? So from now on. Uh, recognize who you're talking to, you know. So I really saw that in some people. So this is a tragic part of it. But as I just said, in any way, it might help some people to uh, be to get more curious about the Iranian history and literature and culture. That's me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Sadr. Um, yeah. For me, also, it's important. Uh, first of all, yes, it is important to show the cultures of the other people, other parts of the world to people in uh, Britain and of course BBC is something that's going to be um, seen around the globe and I, I 
I assume this series is going to be translated, interpreted, dubbed into Persian as well, and perhaps others. And with subtitles, it will be available for many people uh, to watch and learn about Iran. But I think its representation is quite problematic, and it needs to be analyzed. And the 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 nationalistic kind of approach that is at the core of the ideology of this series is, uh, I I think, uh, uh, can cause problems. And especially considering that this is the ideology that has been uh, picked up as f and followed its um, continuation into the Islamic Republic, and it is at the core of the um, the nation-building uh, project of the Islamic Republic as well. This is the, the, pretty much what they base on, which what we learn in our education system in Iran and everything else. Uh, so this is something that needs to be criticized by uh, by Iranians as well as others and not to be accepted fully as uh, as truth per se or as uh, or as fact but but to look at it from a crit with a critical point of view of course it's pretty it's very colorful all of those mosque ceilings are i mean gorgeous and look at those domes and look at those persian gardens and everything they're beautiful um but at the behind the the veneer of this beauty can be some quite dark ideology. Um, so that was about it. Uh, thank you, Salur. I know it's quite late where you are in uh, Santa Andrews, and I was uh, I'm, uh, losing the connection with you at some points. And oh yeah, uh, but the, the the yeah, but the good point is that we recorded the the sounds, the voices separately. So hopefully we are not gonna have problem. We hopefully we didn't talk over each other okay. uh, too many times, and uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, uh, thank you, thank um, you Kave for for uh, making this happen. And I'm Thank so you. glad about it. At the end, I, I can just mention for our audience that if they are interested in the subjects that we discussed, they can re refer to uh, some books which are which did help me to to criticize this TV series. Uh, one of them is Edward Said's Orientalism. Edward Said's Orientalism is a key major text in in, in uh, deconstructing nativist and identity-based narratives. The other is uh, Dr. Mehrzad Burujerdi's work, which is Iranian Intellectuals and the West, in which he discussed this problem of reverse Orientalism, which is quite interesting. Also, I can suggest uh, the very interesting book, Iran as an Imagined Nation, by Dr. Vaziri, if I'm not mistaken. So these are a couple of books that mm -hmm. our audience can refer to. Yeah. Thank you, Gavir. Yes, great. And yeah, thank you. And and speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.